0: This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, which impacts girls' self-esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media by providing free resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They are also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head on over to dove.com selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the Selfie Talk today. But Alex... Yeah, Shane.
1: Let's begin this episode.
0: Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed. The cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree podcast, episode ninety-three.
1: These episodes keep coming; they don't stop.
0: No, they ain't stopping. And babe, we're almost at hundred. Like, we will get to episode one hundred. I was gonna say before I die, but well, what am I trying to say?
1: No clue. It's very weird. Whatever you're trying to say, it's before, been a long day. before you no, die. No, like gonna- I want,
0: like I would. Um I would rather die than not get to episode 100.
1: Why bring death into it? I,
0: I'm just. just I'm trying to tell you how passionately I feel about this.
1: Yeah, I just really really want to get it. <laughs> I, if it was between death and getting to 100, <laughs> I would rather not get to 100.
0: Oh, you baby
1: continue just all
0: right <laughs> tonight we've got another great episode as per the usual so we are starting off with Chantal Bisson and she is the author of Raising Your Kids Without Losing Your Cool and Parenting Your Teen Without Losing Your Cool she was an actress and now she she's still an actress but she is an author and an experienced mom she's got three daughters and she's about to be a grandmother which is super exciting but Chantelle and I go into it. This was a hilarious and incredibly informative conversation. So we talk about how to keep our cool and, you know, how to handle ourselves when you deal with teenage problems, which are typically bigger problems, you know, from handling the classics like sex, drugs, rock and roll, that thing that parents have been dealing with since the beginning of time. And then newer issues like catfishing and getting propositioned by sugar daddies. And this was so like, here's the thing, like it was so funny and I had so much fun doing it and thinking back on the conversation, I'm laughing. But I mean, it's serious stuff and you have to, you have to talk to your kids about it.
1: Rock and roll. We need to talk to the kids about
0: Hey, that's the devil's music. Okay. You didn't know that? Oh,
1: crap. It's hard to get a serious answer out of you tonight,
0: eh? (laughs) I'm on a high. Our interview was fantastic. Please check her out. Please listen to it, whether you are... Parenting teens now, or you will be in the future, like Shane and I. Please it's,
1: listen to it. I mean, they're listening to the episode.
0: No, but I'm just saying, like, don't skip. It. Don't skip that interview. Oh, like, if you're a
1: top and tailor, maybe we have yeah. top and tail listeners. So
0: top and tail listeners, those are the people that listen. To the banter on the top Q As at the end because you love Shane and I so much. That's
1: but, what that means,
0: right? I'm I'm saying this interview is a must hear because there is some great information. Another must hear. 2 much here, in an episode? This <laughs> <Shocking>. is unbelievable. <laughs> so we have Amy Miller. So I found Amy. Her account is on Instagram, uh, rolling through motherhood. And she is an intersectional mother and birth worker. She is queer. She is disabled and chronically ill. And she has so much to talk about. She has-
1: Sorry, what's intersectional?
0: Intersectional is when you have, you know, different aspects of your personality that might- or of your being that might be like, minority. Sorry for the the very pro sociological definition here, but so if you identify as queer, if you are a person of color, if you are black, if you are disabled, then you are occupying all these other spaces. Uh, I see. You know what I mean? So if yeah. you occupy more than one of those spaces, living in poverty, stuff like that, then you are intersectional. Ah, okay. So because she is intersectional, she is a birth worker who likes to help intersectional families because that is their expertise. And there is not a lot of people that can understand and really empathize with intersectional families. So she is incredible. The work she does is incredible. And we had a fantastic talk on what it means to be a disabled mom. She told me her pregnancy and her birth stories, how those differ from the norm and we talk about misconceptions about disabled parents, because obviously there are a lot. And then we get into family dynamics, because Amy has a very interesting family dynamic. She's polyamorous, and she is married with a heterosexual cis man, but she herself is queer and polyamorous. So it's it's very interesting, and it's, it's just a fascinating conversation.
1: So he's cool with that? Yeah. But she's not cool with him going off?
0: Well, you got to hear the interview, babe.
1: <laughs> you can't let that out of the back. All right.
0: But uh, yeah, no, it's another great conversation and so much to learn from both of them, two really well-spoken people. And yeah, I hope you all enjoy.
1: Okay, let's cheers with this Seedlip non-alcoholic spirit that we're drinking right now.
0: All right, Shady Boy, in honor of summer, we are doing Seedlip margaritas. So non-alcoholic margaritas. We got Seedlip Grove 42, agave syrup, lime juice, and a little, uh, a little garnish of salt on the rim.
1: This one is very amazing.
0: Do you feel like you're on vacay?
1: Well, for many reasons, and we'll get into that. But yes, this (laughs) drink is definitely one of them. This is delicious. You truly are a mixologist. I appreciate everything you do to prepare for this podcast, because let's face it, you do a heck of a lot more work than I do for this pod in terms of day of. Yes. Yeah. It balances out in the end, I think.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay. But shall we begin? Oh, let's begin. I feel like you have a topic to start with. I do. I don't know. It seems like you're almost an anti-masker wanting to just (laughs) go out on the town every night now.
0: We just came back from a patio. Guys, I'm feeling so good. We did. We came back from a patio. We had our first dinner out of the house with Betty since the pandemic.
1: And you just never want to go be in this house again, pretty much. You're like, you know, I think we can do one date night a week, maybe two. Let's go out now. Let's get a babysitter. Let's just go. Let's go patio. You and I drinks.
0: Shane, I kind of feel like that. Like, I kind of want to just be like, hey, mom, dad, like, just sit at my house. Babies are asleep. You don't have to do anything. And you and I, Shane, hit the town after this podcast. I agree.
1: I feel the same way. And wasn't walking into the house tonight terrible coming back from dinner
0: no you know what actually so for for me it actually felt great because i felt like i was coming home after doing something and it just it felt so nice (laughs) this
1: looks like home to you
0: (laughs) hold on hold on okay coming through the door like walking up the steps going through the door was like wow we just did something we just had an actual experience outside of the house with the kids it was so amazing Then we came across a threshold into our house and listeners, I got to tell you, it looks like hell. And I know I'm in the minority of moms when it comes to, I think even women, you know, when it comes to people hating messes. All of my female friends love, if they don't love cleaning, they, they clean anyway just because they do and because they're fine with it. I'm our house is a disaster.
1: So I'm a little confused. Do you hate messes or not?
0: I hate. Uh, You're in the minority
1: of hating messes. No,
0: no, I'm I'm in the minority of actually doing something about the mess. I okay. hate messes, but I'm in the minority of like actually. I think there's doing easier something. ways
1: to communicate these thoughts.
0: Shane, I've had a long day. I have lots of thoughts in my head right now.
1: Wh- what's going on?
0: Oh, just what like I've had thoughts? so much fun. I'm like on a high, but I'm exhausted from our little outing as well. Just a lot going on in my brain. But what do you think of our house right now? Like looking at it as we sit here and do our podcast. Oh, it's
1: terrible. But you know what? I just think it's a necessary evil. We have to make a decision. Do we clean our house or do we bust our butts to make the best TikToks ever?
0: So, TikTok stars or clean house. All right, let's.
1: It's not even on- about being stars, it's just about dominating for a week when you feel like you have the brain power and the energy. We recorded eight TikToks the other day, in one day.
0: Yesterday, yeah.
1: That is a new record for us, and we did about six today, and I think we're going to do about six tomorrow.
0: So Shane, are we going to dominate? Because here's the thing, Shane and I will find other people on TikTok that are doing maybe not the same things as us, but maybe they're family-centered or whatnot, and then in our heads, to motivate ourselves, we will create-
1: Don't go with that narrative, because- these people copied us directly we
0: <laughs> I, thought, you're, I thought you were just telling me not to talk about it in general
1: no you're being too diplomatic come on we found another couple out there and i won't say her name because i'm not going to give her another platform but they copied one of our videos
0: like a straight up copy
1: without crediting us and we've We've been inspired by other videos and we credit them. Mm -hmm. These people took our exact concept, was two people on a porch talking, complaining about a very specific thing that didn't just get plucked out of the air and then pretended that they didn't know who we were.
0: And because Shane was like, tagged me and he's like, this sounds like this family tree. And then I commented, I was like, oh yes, it does. And then she goes, hey, if you look at our page, it's all parenting content. But it's like, we looked at the page. There was nothing like a porch video ever. And it was their first video to like hit a million. And then they made another one. It like got really high again.
1: So then they started doing only porch videos and everyone talked about all the same stuff we did in (laughs) all of our videos. So it was just one heck of a coincidence. So we decided to make it our mission as these people started climbing the ranks and getting close to as many followers as we had to putting our best effort into getting back into the swing of things and doing more TikToks because we had a week off on vacation, which was nice. But after a week of vacation, then you're you almost need a vacation from the vacation which is working.
0: Yeah, cuz well you're out of the algorithm on TikTok. So you need to work twice as hard to get back in. But the thing is like Shane, I don't think our acting chops are great, but I mean, here and here's the I'm just going to say, I'm going to be mean. They got no acting chops.
1: They're terrible. They're the worst. They got worst. no chops. I'm going to take it even step further. They're terrible people because of it.
0: I think well, I think <laughs> because of the denial and the copying, I think they're terrible.
1: No, I'm sure they're fine, but they definitely were in denial, but yeah. I'm ready for another vacation, point is. <laughs> so, At the end of a vacation, I always want to get back to work, and we've already done so much work, I want to get back to vacation. Well, here's
0: the thing. You left it. So we made eight eight TikToks yesterday, porch videos. So that's like memorizing scripts, doing them, doing the takes, editing them, doing the voiceovers, like lots of stuff. And then today, we did like five.
1: Oh, we were shooting movies. I think we shot more than five. I think we shot <laughs> six, six, potentially seven, but- today was like real movies like moving flipping the couch shane flipped over
0: lucy's backyard like outdoor plastic little tykes house that was an improv scene
1: (laughs) yeah i was pretending i was like losing my mind because i couldn't find my keys and then i was just inspired i thought it'd be funny if i flipped lucy's toy house and i broke a piece of it off but
0: do you think that neighbors especially the people that live behind us were like peering out of their windows wondering what the heck is going on at that house
1: They just think we're losers uh, trying to make it big (laughs) on social media. And nothing's more embarrassing than being caught filming a really dumb skit.
0: So embarrassing. Yeah.
1: But, uh, okay, here's what I have written down here. All right, let's hear it. Vaccine second dose sickness is real.
0: Oh, my God.
1: We got hit by a Mack truck, and that was the second dose.
0: That that was disgusting. So you know, for the first few hours, we felt great. Like we came home, what was it, the night of our vaccines? Was it the night of our vaccines that we had like a nice time, like we're hanging out on the couch? It was good. And we had a really good night. The following night was date night, right? The following day. And I'm like, maybe we'll just have a sore arm. We'll feel good for our podcast, for our general date night. Our arms got sore pretty quickly. I'd say like by the time we went to sleep the first day and by the second day, I was feeling like garbage. Shane woke up feeling good. And then it was it was a disaster <laughs> after that.
1: Yeah, you totally screwed up the order of things there. But it, it, what it was, we got the vaccine in the afternoon. Yeah. You started feeling bad a few hours later. Yeah. You woke up, started feeling really bad. Mm-hmm. Then I started feeling super euphoric. Yeah, and then that day when I was feeling the euphoria was date night and then by that night the terrible feeling set in and then I started getting the chills and the shakes and I thought I was just trapped like that for for however long I thought it was gonna be the next five days but then I woke up just feeling kind of bad and then now I'm now, now it's been four or five days since and I'm feeling normal again.
0: Oh, I feel normal. I can't sleep on my left side because my arm still hurts oddly to sleep on it. But I feel great. And I just like I know it doesn't kick in for two weeks. But and like we're not putting ourselves in dangerous situations. Obviously, we are like the most COVID safe people on the planet Earth. But
1: no, we're not. We just did. a. a we just said we did a on
0: a patio. But Shane, they were like, go, there was nobody there. We were in a little alley where there was nobody. It was pretty safe.
1: Yeah, but not the most safe in the world.
0: Not the most safe in the world, I guess. Not anymore. <laughs> but but here's the thing. I feel powerful now. Like, I do. And I feel excited. <laughs> Shane's laughing at me, giving me eyes.
1: The other day, I, I told, <laughs> I said, hey, I messaged my stepmom, Lucy's Nona. I said, I got her second vaccine. And she said, don't you feel powerful? And I told Alex that. Alex rolled her eyes and laughed like that was ridiculous. It doesn't thing. kick in. What do you mean?
0: Well, because it doesn't kick in for a bit, so I was like, "Oh, you can't feel powerful till that actually works." But now, like, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. like I have been sucked into the powerful feeling. I scoff at my old eye roll because I feel like the Hulk, Hercules.
1: All right, um, <laughs> <laughs> is it just me, or is, are you different tonight? <laughs>
0: Oh, babe, I'm so- Things are different,
1: though. It's not just me. No, no, no,
0: no, no. It's not just you. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Like, more, like, I'm so excited, but I'm I'm so exhausted from that one outing.
1: Because I rely on you to be the articulate one. And I'm kind of the rambly, getting stories wrong, mixing them up. And I don't so feel when, articulate tonight. when you're being like me, I feel like the pod just <laughs> falls apart. You <laughs> Look, could only have one person who doesn't really have it together,
0: okay, I gotta say the interviews, folks, listeners, I am articulate, okay. I did not do these tonight. I did them throughout the week. I was on my game, did them with a coffee, But now that we're just hanging out, I feel like Garth, like Garth Algar
1: from Wayne's world. hmm. Okay, next topic here: cottage trip.
0: Ugh, what you want to break my heart?
1: No, I'm going. I'm going on a cottage trip with the boys. Oh,
0: you? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: What's breaking your I, heart? No,
0: I thought you were going to say because I want to have a working week at the cottage, and I thought you were going to say you did not want to do that or something.
1: I don't. I don't care where I work. Uh, I, all I was telling you was if I we go to the cottage to work, I'm I'm not going to be partying at the cottage. I just yep. have to stay in my room and work. But this, your dad organized a cottage trip with my friends, Max and Mike.
0: (laughs) For your other podcast.
1: Yeah. But how do you feel about that?
0: Jealous and FOMO. I hate that my dad didn't ask me first because it's more than just you like going away for two days. Like you're leaving me with two kids for two days as a sole caregiver, as you know what I mean? Like it's just different. And also, like, lonely with no friends. So it's just different. And But your mom can help, though. Uh, yeah, but it's not the same as, like, you – as, you know, the other parent. It's different. So just wish he asked me first before proposing this idea, and then he went on your podcast and proposed the idea to the guys. But ultimately, I don't care, and I think it's going to be awesome, and you guys are going to have a good time. However, it's just funny how much my dad is like me, like he wants to be at the center of the action. So he's going out of his way to place himself in the action. And now I'm getting FOMO.
1: Yeah, I know. You do suffer from that. So it got me a little bit worried. How is it going to be when in July 13th onwards, once our two weeks is up and I am considered fully vaccinated, that I do start going out and hanging with my friends? How is that going to be for you?
0: Well, how often are you planning on doing this, Shane? I
1: don't know. Once, twice a week?
0: Twice a week?
1: Just to answer the question. How are you going to be?
0: Not twice a week, you dingus. You can't leave me alone for twice a week. What am I going to do?
1: Read a book. Watch Kardashians. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I don't care. Go once a week. Have a have a night once a week.
1: Once a week is fine.
0: Yeah, once a and week. And you're
1: going to be a tolerable person to be around. Yeah. What is your preferred day of the week I do this on?
0: I don't know, Monday.
1: Monday. Why Monday?
0: Because Fridays and Thursdays are fun, Wednesdays, date nights.
1: So I just Friday, can't.
0: Saturday I, is podcast night.
1: I can't have fun. <laughs> so you you want to set me up for the worst scenario.
0: Well, why not make Monday fun?
1: <laughs> Good. Monday, fun day. Yes, I see your point there. And I guess in these COVID double vax times, every day is kind of like Mardi, Mardi Gras.
0: Yeah, well it's it's like groundhog day. You make it what it is, then you wake up and it starts with a clean slate again.
1: That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you're talking about there. I thought we were on the same page that in the double vax era right.
0: Oh, I see.
1: everyone is celebrating every night because people are just so excited to be double vaxed. So, yeah. Monday can be a fun day now.
0: No, I agree and you have so many friends that for sure there's going to be at least like five guys hanging on any given day. You know what I mean?
1: Okay, Mondays. Okay, I'm going to message the fellas and let them know.
0: How excited to get away from me are you?
1: I'm not excited to get away. I'm just, <laughs> I'm excited to see how you react and if you can be nice.
0: What day should I start going out weekly?
1: Whenever, Whatever day you want. And you know I don't have a problem with that.
0: I know and I don't like that.
1: Why do you want me to have problems in my life?
0: What are you going to do when I'm gone? Why? Why?
1: Read a book. It's hard to catch up with reading because I love hanging with you so much when you're in the house. So when you're gone, I can actually buckle down and start reading.
0: Mm-hmm. All right.
1: So Tuesdays? <laughs> <laughs> Fun Tuesdays? I don't know. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul Newman. Uh, we did a, well, a TikTok about his salsa Brand. And I feel like no one got it. Basically, the concept of the the TikTok was he has a salsa brand. Yes, he donates money to charity, but he's dressed in full Mexican garb. Yes. And it didn't take off and no one got it. And I talked to your your uncle, other people, they were like, "Yeah, I didn't get that. What was the point of that TikTok?" Because I opened the TikTok mm-hmm. and I say, "I'm genuinely confused by this." And then we cut to Paul Newman with a fake mustache and sombrero, smiling, dressed as essentially a Mexican person, mm-hmm. right? That's
0: But not like not even like a like a super stereotypically.
1: Yeah. So do I not know what cultural appropriation is? It's
0: no, that is, is cultural appropriation. He is dressing like a uh, a Mexican going to a cultural event to sell salsa. But it's not him. I love Paul Newman so much. It's not him. It's the people that are doing the marketing for well, his Well, Paul company.
1: Newman's not alive for people no, who don't know listening. No. Paul Newman was a very famous actor, one Hunky. of the hunkiest men of all time, a leading man, obviously, in, in some very great movies, Cool Hand Luke.
0: Oh, Cool Hand Luke's amazing.
1: Uh, Amongst others, I can't think of any. (laughs) Rich
0: Cassidy and the Sundance (laughs) Kid. Yeah,
1: oh, Color Money, right? Yeah. But I was just shocked that that didn't take off. And I was wondering if maybe I was trying to call someone out and doing that not right.
0: Well, here's the thing. We were trying to call somebody out for a viral video.
1: Well, no, we thought it would catch because it's such a glaring thing I thought. It is how glaring. can this salsa be falling through the cracks when every other brand is like, "Oh, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that." So I was like, "But Paul Newman somehow I is ge- getting out of jail for free?" Is it
0: the charity thing? Like I, I don't know because that that shouldn't surpass the the cultural appro- appropriation, you know what I mean? So I don't know how it slipped through the cracks. Maybe people just weren't thinking that when they were talking about other brands because it just seems so innocuous and he's got so many products so maybe this one specific salsa who just was like hiding like it was in our fridge just Mm kind of hiding in the back corner right
1: because i was also thinking i know louis ck who's all obviously like been in deep trouble etc he's he's mexican and he has red hair Mm -hmm. and he looks anything but what you'd associate with a typical mexican person so i was wondering is maybe paul newman mexican and i'm missing something i, I was it? just i don't know
0: i'm looking up his heritage right yeah now. paul leonard newman 1925 to 2008 uh was born shaker heights ohio his mother was a slovak his father was a jew who had one parent from hungary and the other from poland so no just uh eastern european
1: okay so let's not take paul newman down let's take down the company that is doing this salsa label and just change it
0: well they're making our boy paul look bad he's not here to make these decisions
1: yeah like i'm sure paul approved this at one point and then when the times changed he would have realized that that's not cool anymore
0: of of course he's paul newman
1: so yeah let's ask them to change the label and make our tiktok go viral in the process
0: yeah because they're doing paul an injustice yeah, okay, I
1: just wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah, no, that's good. And another thing, our front deck. Now we have these drapes. This is just me kind of venting about mm-hmm. things that are on my mind. We have these drapes on our front deck that originally you put them up. And I thought they were beautiful. Yeah. But now I feel like our street looks like we're the trashy house on the street now.
0: Well, okay. I took I took the things that like, keep them nice and like together.
1: Yeah, there's these... Off. It's like a belt that goes around yeah. the drapes that keeps them nice and tight and looking great. But when that belt flies off, it looks unwieldly on our porch, and it's blowing around constantly. Yeah. And it looks like we just have this weird sheet. Okay, hiding we've had us. we've had
0: crazy winds. We've had crazy winds. But so you know, I just need to think of a solution. So I think the solution I need to sew the belt on because when it gets really windy, it flies off. But if I sew it on, then it will always stay there. It will always stay up at that one level. And then it won't come undone no matter how windy it is.
1: Because do you acknowledge our house looks very bad right now on the outside and the inside?
0: Oh, my God, Shane. Like, it's giving me anxiety talking about it. But yes, I do. I do. I just need to think of a solution and actually... Do it
1: mm-hmm. for, i just feel like we're the laughing stock of the street we're doing tick because of our t- <laughs> we're doing we're doing tick tocks we look like totally irresponsible when people get a glimpse in our house it's just a mess and when they see what we've done to the outside and people are donating plants to us and, i've been
0: weeding religiously
1: yeah but still plants are dying
0: no they're not they're not Go because a-
1: neighbors are coming over and watering them for us
0: shane only when we're gone i'm watering them now i've seen them
1: while we're here sneaking over and watering you have them not. i have when I don't, the other day. Really? Yes, yeah, someone came over and watered our plants. I couldn't tell you who it was. They were wearing, wearing a ski mask. <laughs> they were so embarrassed to be caught.
0: No, I've been watering and I've been weeding religiously. But uh, I agree, changes need to be made. Changes need to be made, babe.
1: Okay, changes are coming. That's all I have on my list. Should we <laughs> sh- Should we get to our first interview?
0: Let's do it. Let's go to Chantal Busson.
1: But before that, let's let everyone know who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras you can get your hands on, whether you are a nursing or a non-nursing person, just have boobs that need to be held by a bra.
1: I could have said that better myself.
0: But continue. <laughs> I'm very uh, eloquent tonight, but I became acquainted with Bravado Designs during my pregnancy with Lucy when Shane came home with a nursing bra for me because I needed one. And I've been hooked on them ever since. I haven't hooked? even- Hooked? Or clipped? Well, clips and hooks, babe. But Bravado Designs nursing bras are a staple in so many women's wardrobes when they are pregnant until they're done nursing their kids. And now- Unlike me who continued using my Bravado Designs nursing bras like long after I was nursing, they have a new line out with no clips. So you can wear them just as regular bras. And I am so happy I wear mine all the time. But you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com and you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection with no clips at ca.bravadodesigns.com and regardless of which website you go to use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off which is awesome so again that is com and thisfamilytree20
1: okay but now it's time for our interview or alex's interview
0: with Chantel Bisson but yeah it is so uh, lovely to have you here today Chantel so thank you so much for sitting down with me and Shane and Spirit Oh God, I
2: love it. Thanks to Pat Thank you so much for having me. It
0: was a great treat. (laughs) Yeah, well, see, we talk a lot about like relationships and younger kids because that's where we are in life. We don't often talk about teenagers. And I think a part of it is because I'm so terrified. I have a lot of experience with teenagers. I've taught high school for years. Oh wow. And but but the thing, it's different. They're not your kids. They somehow, I feel like, respect you more because you're not their parent, which is weird. And I'm just, I'm terrified for this phase. But yeah, I'm so, I'm so excited to talk about your book, Parenting Your Teens Without Losing Your Cool. Yeah, thank you. Well, first off, I just want to say hats off to you. I bow down to you. And I, I say that completely
2: <laughs> with the utmost respect, because obviously my girls are like 32, 30 and 24. And God, have we known a ton of teachers? And it is by far one of the hardest jobs in the world. And it goes, and it's interesting that you said that you find that the kids respect you more than they might their own parents. Cause mm-hmm. I've always worried it might be the opposite for you. Right. But I think it's cool that you teach teenagers because that there's that really interesting dichotomy with them. Right. It's like, yeah, you know, they either love or hate you. Like, so, I mean, you strike me as the kind of teacher that they'd be all like, Oh my god, we want to be in her class. She's the cool, hip, young, happening teacher.
0: I'm strict. I'm I'm very strict though. That's the thing. But kids
2: like that. Kids actually like that. It
0: you know, it's worked out for me and I think that's why I've become that way because that's just what I found worked best cuz when I started I was like 24 you look And closer. Still, so. I, okay, I was gonna say, how the hell do you have a thirty 30- anything year old daughter? That doesn't make sense. Like you're drinking some kind of vampire thing, and I want it. Um,
2: but it takes a team. I've got a whole village. Trust me. I can't take that. A little bit. You're gonna teams, have to message me village. about that
0: team. I got to hear about this team after, please. But you know, I I think it started from me being so close in age, in a sense, with them that we were worlds apart you know, in our education, in our experience, but when it came to things that we liked, I mean, I still like the same music, movies as a lot of these teens do, but I have no problem putting my foot down. And and I had to kind of figure that out early, or else, I mean, who's gonna take advantage more than a teenager? And really before we before we get into this, I kind of wanna backtrack a little bit because in your Instagram bios is actress turned author. And I'm just I'm very curious in that? How long were you acting for? And why did you make the move into writing parenting books? Well, if you ask my mother,
2: I've been acting my entire life. And if (laughs) you ask my husband, he'd say the entire 33 years he's known me. Um, But um, professionally, I started acting when I was 16. And it was a really uh, interesting thing that happened is, you know, I got pregnant really young, we had our first daughter at 19. And we did that common thing that dual acting households do. It's like, Well, whoever gets a job, the other one goes with to keep a family together. So that he, when we got together, we were, we were working very much. We were like, had the same, at the same level on, in some Mm -hmm. ways, like he'd been a teen star, but we were kind of at the same level in our work, but then that took us away. And it was interesting. Two things happened. One. I obviously went, we had one daughter a second on the way, it was in New Zealand, so of course I went. But as I had more children, and as I traveled more with him, it was like I gave birth, and talent agents and casting agents thought like my talent had come. You know, I delivered it out of my vagina <laughs> with my baby, and so all of a sudden, nobody would audition me. Nobody would cast me. So I, I quickly started to look for other passions to fill my soul. Right, because when you're a mom, a, a great danger is that you become invisible and you lose everything that ever sparked any interest and passion and joy, and and gave you your own purpose outside of. You know, potty training and feeding and educating your kids. So, I I was really really focused on that. That I and, and just the kind of person that I knew. I, I I quickly have the ability to get bitter. You know, I, I I like I'm not naturally a like yay for everybody person. I'm more of a like what about me person. And I don't know if it's because I'm a middle child, the only daughter. I don't know. So I'm I'm painfully aware of my shortcomings. So I really had to dig deep and look for other things that 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 fulfilled that creative energy that I had within myself, but also allowed me to be the present full-time mom that I wanted to be. So writing, I'd always had, I'd been good at it in school. And actually I've had, have had classmates message me since writing two books and say, I'm not surprised you're a published author. Do you remember when Miss So-and-so read your piece out to the class? And I don't recall it, but I just recall always having a love for it. So that's how I became a recovering actress turned author.
0: Recovering actress. (laughs) And I I like how you describe that because, of course, the talent just goes through the vagina with everything else. Right. I mean, who you were before a lot of people, I think, is delivered right after that placenta, I guess. I don't know technically when it happens, but somewhere in that process. (laughs) <laughs> yeah totally in that process and it happens not even just for women
2: who young aspiring actors is right it's just if you're a female and you become a mom then all of a sudden that's that people you get pigeonholed into just being a mom and that's why it's such a struggle for women to get back into the workforce and to you know continuing following their careers and it's kind of society is doing a huge disservice to everybody by making that the way that it is because then you've got women who are you know at the top of their game in their careers whether it be lawyer doctors architects whatever in those sort of Professions that feel rushed to leave their kids to you know not lose
0: pace. So it's really we, it's something we got to work on. No, absolutely, it needs to be. And it, it sounds like you know your three daughters have such a great figure for like a role model for themselves in becoming mothers themselves. Which I know one of your daughters is, and you are going to become a grandmother soon. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I think
2: like we're 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 7 weeks away now. That's incredible. So. <laughs> That's so incredible. It is incredible.
0: And so you know, you have gone through, I'd say what the hardest parts probably of parenting. You've done the baby thing, you've done the little kid thing, the 100 million questions a day asking why this, why that. And you've done the teenager thing, which I'm so curious to ask you about, but what has been the hardest season of parenting for you?
2: Wow, I've not actually been asked that question in that way. What's the hardest season? You know, I think uh, having gone through pretty much all of them and now being like you said on the cusp of becoming a grandmother and 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 watching my daughter create life, I think it has its its worries, you know, and every season has its its challenges or has the the you the things that you worry about in in uh aspect of their own safety and you know their achievements and will they fit in with their peer group and i mean i think i think literally i would my answer to that might be the minute you you deliver them because from that moment on you live outside of yourself yeah. and every stage of their life society has expectations of accomplishment and achievement that you know you're kind of trying to not hold on to for them but, you know, you can't help it because it's so ingrained in us. They got to walk mm-hmm. by a certain time. They got to be potty trained at a certain age. They got to eat solid foods. And then from there, they have to, you know, get certain grades when they're in elementary school and they have to be on this sports team and they have to achieve this level. So I think as a parent, you're, you're constantly in that state of wanting them to be all they can be without pressuring them or yourself. So I would say emotionally the most ch- i think when they're little of course you're just physically and drained absolutely yeah, that's where we are right now <laughs> we yeah, are yeah. there <laughs> yeah yeah and you're like am i going to live and then you slowly come out of that and then there's this like really brief moment where they're on a regular sleep schedule they kind of eat regularly and <laughs> it's all good and gravy and then bam they go into the tween years you know and then it's oh. 10 they're double digits and all of a sudden hormones start surging, and then they go to high school. So uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I think the the, the one the time for me personally, as a mother that I would say was probably Mm -hmm. the most challenging was like 15 to to 17. Those two, those two years were the hardest, because that's where they really start to flex those independent muscles, you know, and they've got their, they got their they got their crew and their crews telling them they don't need to listen to you. And then, you know, they got all this outside external influence. Yeah. I mean, and that's for me going back a hundred years, right? <laughs> because no, now yeah, I would yeah. imagine for you guys, it's probably
0: earlier because now there's social media in the mix, right? That is a whole other thing that terrifies me. And like when I was so I'm I'm 32, so I'm the same age as your eldest. And like what i we got the internet came around like households when i was still a kid like i remember getting the internet and playing those really basic games and things like that and social media was starting in the sense that you know you could have like conversation myspace msn things like that yeah messenger right and that was already a lot and i remember like you know Friends, when you get into fights, like I had a friend once go into a conversation and doctor what I had written, and then show people this fake conversation. And I was like, "That's not what happened." And that was like the beginning of all the fake shit that's online, right? And I'm I'm so glad I wasn't a teenager in this phase. But that's one thing we have two daughters, and I'm terrified, terrified. So that's something we try to talk about now, even with the three year old, because it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable it is unavoidable mm-hmm. and you know and i talk about it a
2: lot my first book was raising your kids without losing your cool and it talks about like it's all about prepping with your partner like what are our standards going to be what are our rules going to be like what expectations do we have and coming to an agreement because the thing i find that a lot of couples do myself included with my husband cuz we were 19 i mean we <laughs> we we, <laughs> we were discussing how we wanted to raise children we didn't even think we were having children and then of all course. of a sudden there we were right so those, so part of that book the raising your kids book is is talking to couples about getting aligned like getting your foundation your parenting foundation in check and just really coming up with very simple house rules that will help the house run as smoothly as possible. I mean, obviously, we're all different personalities. There's no such thing as a completely peaceful and quiet house. But I think that as long as you have your boundaries set up, because now everybody's really talking about boundaries, right? And really, it's the same thing with a family. Like, it, I like in having a family to literally building a house, you've got to lay a good foundation. You're not going to build your foundation on like sand and be like, Oh, ever shifting, ever changing. Cause it's going to crumble. It can't work. So the, the, the best way to, you know, have these well adjusted teens who will be respectful and mindful is you got to start young. Right. And, and what happens is you, it's always consistent. Like the rules don't ever change. Like we had household rules. There were three of them. Well, what were they? We were like, well, no lying. Like we're like, you just, you, you can't, you just lying is not acceptable and no disrespect. And for us, disrespect was like, if you're mad and if you're angry, express yourself in a way that is useful, no name calling, you know what I mean? And like, no, no storming out of a space, no storming out of an argument, like talk, let's talk through this. Let's walk through this together. And what that ended up doing is, you know, our girls, when they would fight each other, you know, there was no name calling or hair pulling and That's stuff good. like that, which is good because, you know, That's girls so tend good. to do that they, <laughs> they cry <laughs> time. and cry time. and scream and name call. But going back to that social media piece, it's so important that parents understand that what we are seeing is literally the hairy tip of the yeah. iceberg. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times my girls get dick pics sent in, you know, unsolicited the number of times my daughter and all their friends, all of them have had, they've all been solicited to be sugar babies on a regular basis. Like it's, it's just a normal occurrence. If your daughter is on Instagram, go ask her how many times she gets propositioned in a day, it'll blow your mind. So I tell parents, if you're going to let your kids be on social media, then I believe you need to, and you're good, you're going to be, this is going to be easy for you, is you need to be strict and you need to say, these are the rules. You hit 16, I have your passcodes and I am in there. I can check your chats at any time and I can check your pictures that you're sending. any anytime, like we share an Instagram. This is not your Instagram, this is our Instagram. Okay, wait, this is this is fascinating.
0: I I, I got to stop you there because I, I, I have questions just about that part, but before you even move on to the next part. So, okay, so- just clarify this for me. You share a password with your girls and well, like when they were old enough and you were allowed to go in and check their stuff. Yeah. Or they
2: didn't have it. I mean, and that was just, and that's the bottom line. And the thing is, is that, and, and this is why I, I know we're talking about my parents in your teen book, but I talk about it in the raising your kids book. So if anybody who's listening has littles, get that book, read it first, then read the parents of your teen book. Because the reality is, is that, It's all about layering your parenting. Like you just don't wake up when they're 13 and be like, Hey, give me that Instagram password. I'm getting in your business. Now your kid's going to go F you you're out of your mind. I run this shit. Go away. You know what I mean? So you've got to start this stuff little, you gotta, you gotta let them know that I love you. I'm in your business because I love you. I'm in your business because I know things about the world you don't know about yet. I'm protecting you. And
0: this is just the way we do it in our house. But when do you draw, like as a parent, when do you draw a line or know when to draw the line between, okay, this is a a conversation that they need privacy in and I'm not going to go through it. Or this is something that I feel suspicious about and I am going to go through it. Because like, that's a tough line. That's a tough line to draw. And I wouldn't know when to cross it. And I think that you'd cross it unintentionally sometimes. So how did that work out?
2: Yeah. So how that works out is like, here's the thing, right? We're not naive. Like you're making out, you're petting, you're trying out sex. It starts pretty young, pretty young. And I think that there's the difference of that, right? Like if you know, your child is dating somebody or they're seeing somebody and you're okay with it. And see, this is the difference, right? As a parent, you need to understand what the lines are. Like if you're allowing your kid to date, then you're you're basically allowing, you're saying, I'm I know what's going on here. I know there's making out going on, I know there's petting going on, you know. That relationship, that's gonna
0: be off limits to you because that's their private, intimate relationship. So basically, if we're not okay with them having sex ultimately, then we shouldn't be okay with them dating.
2: It's it's that cut and dry. It's like they're not hanging out and in either the same gender, opposite gender, whatever. They're not like super close to that person because they're sharing homework secrets like let's be real go back to when you were 13 he's really good at math so, yeah he's so good at math or she's so good at math or we just you know look I, I say this to parents all the time just take a step back and recall like go back to that time when you were that age and think about what you were doing it's normal It's Mm -hmm. natural. It's not bad. It's not dirty. We, we spend so much time as parents shaming our daughters about sex, but glorifying our sons for it. And I talk about that in my book and that's got to stop. Like Mm -hmm. we got to just quit with that because the reality is, and and I, and I also talk about this in my book, parents heal your sexual shit, heal Mm -hmm. your sexual trauma, because if you don't you're going to put it on your kids and that's not okay because they're their own sexual beings Yeah, and you've got to let them be free to be their own sexual beings, teach them to be smart, teach them about safe sex, teach them about consent, teach them about all those important key elements that are grown up issues around mm-hmm. sexuality,
0: but like, let's not put our heads in the sand,
2: you know, Yeah, no.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. And, and here's the thing too, even looking back, cause I had some friends that were not interested in anything like that until much later age. Shane didn't have his first beer. He didn't kiss his first girl till he was 19. That was not the case for me. So it's like, even if you are, you know, were that type of person, you have to step back and not only look at what you may or may not have done, but what your peers did. Because again, like you said, your kid is a different sexual being than you are, than you were. And they're going to have different ideas about it. They're going to have different comfort levels with different things. And that's, yeah, no, I think that's a great cut and dry thing. So then when it goes back to like getting into their business on social media, right? So if they're in a relationship that you know about, you don't touch that. Because that actually, it helps them to work out who they are in a relationship and to help improve themselves in relationships for when they get older and get married or have a long-term commitment, whatever that looks like but then everything else is everything else open or are there lines there i'm so fascinated by this i know i know right? it's and this is a thing right i get a lot of flack for saying
2: this about being in your kids business cuz a lot of people think it's it's they think i'm they think i'm being a hypocrite cuz i talk a lot about don't be that helicopter person parent and don't like be you know holding their hand all the way through like but what i'm talking about is i'm not talking about like governing them i'm mm. talking about protecting them do you know what i mean i'm talking yeah. about here, here's the thing. We all know our kids, right? You know if if you've got a bully on your hands. You know that long in advance. You've heard it from teachers, you've heard it from other parents. So I'm talking about checking in on your kids on their on their character weaknesses. So if you right. know you might have a kid who who has a tendency to bully and is sort of the ringleader of a clique and might mm-hmm. be causing somebody else distress emotionally yeah. by being a little asshole out in the world, I'm yeah. saying check them. Yeah. Check those conversations and check them. I'm talking about if you have a child who may be, you know, struggling in peer groups and stuff like that, check to make sure they're not being bullied. You know what I mean? I'm saying, yeah. I'm not saying you're governing them, I'm saying you're helping to protect them from mm-hmm. the downside and the dark side of social media, which is far re- more reaching than what's good on social media. You need to have very focused concentrated dialogue, have yeah. communication, have conversations. What what happened on social media today? How are you feeling about your social media interaction mm-hmm. today? And another thing that I tell parents to do is check out who they're following yeah. and follow some of their favorite accounts. And the reason I say follow some of their favorite accounts is one. So you have something else to talk to them about over the dinner table. (laughs) Yeah, So you have a little (laughs) what what they're into so you can be relatable with them, but also so you can make sure that they're following people that you would deem are positive role models for them. Because a lot of kids follow people who make them feel like shit and they're looking at them all day long. And at the end of the day, their self-worth, their self-confidence, their self-esteem is in the toilet. And you're like, what's wrong with my kid? Well, they're following 15 girls that, you know, they're making tens of thousands of dollars for posting sneaker videos. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah. Well, like even, even for me, right? Like I had to go through who I was following and stop following certain people because I was having a hard time after I had my kids just like coming to terms with things and how things had changed with my body, with what I was able to do. So like I went through, you better believe it, and like started unfollowing all those Victoria's Secret models and everything. So I was like, I like them. They, And honestly, like some of them I just, I like, like they seem nice. I like their look. I like how they do their makeup. So I kind of follow them for that. But I was like, ultimately, it is not serving me in a positive way anymore. But I made that decision as an adult. Like, I made that decision now. Who knows? If I was younger, maybe I'd keep following them because I wouldn't be able to draw that line and say, okay, this isn't serving me because I might still be in that phase where you're like chasing it. You're chasing that unattainable beauty, that unattainable wealth, whatever the hell it is.
2: Yeah, whatever the hell it is. I call mm. it the Kardashian curse, right? I yeah. Mean- these kids have grown up with believing that you can be on YouTube and be worth millions of dollars and have millions of followers and be, you know, everybody's favorite person to follow. And the reality is, it's like we're not all going to be popular. We're not all yeah. going to be Victoria's Secret models. So when I talk about being in your kids' social media lives, I mean some kids you may need that password. Mm-hmm. Other kids you just may need to be that voice of reason, that voice of support that checks in and says, how are you doing today? Because, you know, you're talking about unfollowing people. I, girl, I still have people that I follow. I'm like, why are you following those people? <laughs> get rid of them, Chantal. Get rid of them. I know. I'm like, it don't make me feel good. But then I'm like, but they're kind of pseudo friends. So, you know, so I get it. I get it. As a grown adult, I get it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that when we're, we're teens and, and and you're so much more impressionable and you're so much more vulnerable, that's mm-hmm. when parents need to step in and be that voice, you know, and be that support. And and I say it all through both the books is like, if you lead with love and if they know that everything that you're doing is all based and rooted in your love for them, they'll, they'll trust you.
0: Well, see, they have to feel that too. Because I mean, anybody can say they, they're leading with love. But then I think about when I was a kid and like I had some friends whose parents were incredibly strict. Like, I mean, like dictator- Only their word mattered and didn't matter if they were wrong because their kid wasn't allowed to have a say. And it's like they could argue that they were leading with love. A parent that's, I don't know, physically abusive might argue that they're leading with love, right? So your kid, you have to love in a way that your kid understands and lead in a way that they can respect and they can feel seen and loved from it. And that's, you know, that's
2: completely valid because, yeah, I I mean, you do see a lot of times kids who are in environments of abuse will say that, you know, their parents before they like Abuse them mm-hmm. like well, this is because I love you, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 you know, obviously, we're talking about well-adjusted and yeah. healthy parents that yeah. wouldn't do that. But yeah, I mean, you know, your, your words have to match your actions, and mm-hmm. that's the thing with parenting. And kids can spot a hypocrite away, so don't think you're going to fool them. You know, and 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 I, and I say this to parents too all the time. It's like. You've got to let go of your expectations for your child and really parent the child for who they are, right? not for the child you want them to be, yeah. you know, and you've got to relate to the team for the team that they are and not the team that you would hope that they, you wanted them to become like, you know, you know, you can't, you know, berate your child if they don't turn out to be the quarterback of the football team and they prefer to be a dancer. You know what I mean? Like you got to love, you got to meet your child where they are and love them for who they are. And I think that for a lot of parents, that's, that's a challenge and and, and for whatever it goes back to what I said earlier about heal your sexual trauma and your sexual, mm-hmm. your sexual shit, do the same thing with your own, like accomplishments in life. Like it's yeah. your kids are not your opportunity to redo your childhood and your teen years. It, they're mm-hmm. just not. They're just not. They're their own people. No,
0: absolutely. And, you know, I want to go back to this uh, sugar daddy thing because I got to say I was was never propositioned when I was a teenager. And if I was, I'm sure I would have been reading these messages with my girlfriends laughing at the proposition for 95% of me. But then there would be a 5% that would be like, sounds like you can make pretty good dough. I'm tired of working at the deli down the street. This might be sweet. I wouldn't do it, but that would be there, and I wouldn't do it because I had a stable family. I was working; I'd been I've been working since I was thirteen. But if I didn't work, like I didn't need to to support the family, I didn't need to to support myself. So if I didn't come from the family that I did come from, which I am very privileged to be from, who knows? Who knows? And I I know. That's why a lot of people might do something like that. Yeah, 100%. And
2: I mean, and this is why it's on the rise, right? And in my book, I rank rank the schools in Canada and the US by like number one sugar daddy school down, sugar baby school down to like number 10. I went to Um, Western,
0: that's gotta be up there, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's in there. It's, It's not number one though, surprisingly. But you know what? Here's the thing. It's like kids from privilege are also doing this, you know, because at some point, you know, enough is not enough, right? Like for some kids, it's like, okay, well, my parents only give me X amount of allowance Mm. while I'm in school. So I'm going to sell some photos of my feet, or I'm going to sell photos of my ass and you won't ever see my face. And, you know, I'll get this X amount of dollars. So I, I mean, it's hard to say my girl's I, I think my girls all thankfully just <laughs> laugh at it. I know one of my daughters, somebody just wanted pictures of her hands and her feet. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping she didn't give in. But what? how much were they offering? Oh, it's crazy. Like, some guys will offer you like $2,000 a week. Like, it
0: depends on how much money these guys actually have. Yeah. I'm still 5% considering this, Chantel. Still 5% considering this. $5,000 a week for foot picks sounds amazing.
2: I'm 5% <laughs> considering it too, because I don't make any money selling my books. <laughs> Maybe my hands. I, don't know. I mean, They don't look 52, you know what i <laughs> so, I mean, I think, it, it, you know, we can laugh about it, but it's really a thing that's going mm. on right now. And, and you're, you're saying, you know, you're lucky you came from a loving family. And even though you worked from, you were 13, I worked when I was 12. Like it were, it's different. My girls, my two older girls always had jobs as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you, you just don't know what's going to cause your kid to cross that line. And don't mm-hmm. think your sons are safe because that is on the rise with, with young men. So I just tell your, I tell parents reading my books. I'm like, look, if your kid shows up with like some Jordan kicks that, you know, they don't yeah. make anymore. And, and the last time you heard from your kid, they were $1,500 and they're rocking them. And you know, you didn't buy, them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, are <laughs> only working two shifts at McDonald's because they're <laughs> in university. Start a- asking, asking some questions. Like start asking some questions if they show up with the latest little Prada bag. So,
0: okay. So, I'm like, I'm trying to put myself in this position, right? Like as a parent. So this happens. My kid is carrying some like fancy bag or some awesome clothes that like I can't afford. And I find out something like this is happening and the, oh, hey mom, I'm selling pictures of my hands and my feet and my face isn't in them. I'm taking agency over my body. I know exactly what I'm doing. If they're like 18, 19, whatever, I'm going to be mortified but then, at the same time, like I don't know. I I, I don't I don't know. M- maybe there's nothing inherently wrong with. It. They're not doing anything. They're not putting themselves in danger per se, if especially if like a face isn't getting shown. I don't know how I'd approach that. So ha- like, have you ever had to approach that, or ha- have you had friends that have? like, no,, you know what? And here's the thing, and this is
2: the the main reason why I wrote the parenting your team withoutging your Pull book is because, there's something that happens as a parent when you cross over to tween years is you really stop talking about your kids. You just don't like. I, I'll the the thing that really set me off and was a huge turning point for me of understanding how dark and lonely the teen parenting years were and are is I had a girlfriend and we were quite close, like close enough to talk about our our sexual intimacy with our husbands. We both had daughters that were. Uh, self-harming they were cutting I knew my daughter was she knew her daughter was but we would talk about everything under the sun except that like imagine how much support we could have gleaned and given to one another if we had Mm -hmm. felt no shame around that and be able to speak to one another frankly about what we were going through and how to help our daughters through it so to me I feel like this sugar baby thing would fall exactly into that category. It would be the same thing as going to your girlfriend going, Hey, my, my daughter, Jennifer, she, she just, she's stripping. She's stripping now. She, she goes to university and she has decided she wants to be stripper. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell people that. Right. So I think that this whole sugar baby falls sort of under that tent of where a parent would feel shame and feel like they failed. So mm-hmm. I doubt you would ever hear somebody come up and tell you <laughs> your kid that their, their kid is, you know, this is what their kid is involved in right now. And, you know, I, I, I go back and forth because, you know, I'm, I'm a big, big advocate for you've got to love your children for who they are. You know, I, I've said this to my girls many times. I can't fathom you doing anything, you know, obviously short of taking somebody's life that would cause me to love you any less. Like Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't like it. If my daughters were sugar babies on the side, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think the best move for them either would be to be a stripper or, or get into porn. But at the end of the day, you can only make decisions for them for so long. And then Mm -hmm. at some point you have to, you have to let go. And I would say as a parent that there are those kinds of situations would be the most difficult times to be able to let go. If they were doing something like that, that you feel fundamentally and morally just completely opposed to. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't speak to it because as far as I know, from what my girls have told me, none of them have been (laughs) sugar (laughs) babies. Uh, you know, (laughs) I'm hoping that that remains true. But, you know, again, some of those things they might keep to themselves, because they know it would cause too much upset. But that's why I say in my book that I think what you need to look at and look for is things that are turning up in their closet Mm -hmm. that you know, you can't afford and that they can't afford. All right, Chantal,
0: we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending fortune shouldn't be just as tough. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices.
1: Now, normally I chime in with some hilarious retort or remark, (laughs) but I'm just going to say these are really the best diapers, the best products. We are so glad to have them in our life. We will continue to use them forever, whether they're our sponsor or not. And we have the best discount code in the world.
0: Oh, we have the best discount code. And you know, each bundle of Hello Bello, because it's an awesome subscription service, so you don't have to go to the store when you're running out because they get delivered right to your door. But each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% of any add-ons like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream. There are so many things and everything is amazing. So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That is a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved.
1: That's right, that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order.
0: Don't forget that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only.
1: But we are Also supported by
0: Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on some masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has turned into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and dads and kids and grandparents and caregivers and babysitters and nannies alike.
1: Oh, man. These labels are going to come in so handy. People are double vaxxed. People are going back to school. And nothing is worse than losing something, especially if you're a toddler.
0: Well, you think about it. So we're going to put Lucy into basketball in the fall. And like, we don't want her drinking out of some other kid's water bottle because of covid possible other variants coming through, so we want her to be able to recognize her own name on her own water bottle.
1: I just want that bottle coming home to
0: us. (laughs) Lucy loves them because she helps me design the labels online, which is such a fun process, and she can, you know, put hearts, hedgehogs, cherries, whatever she wants on them. And Shane and I love them because the line of products features baby bottle labels, allergy, medical, alert bracelets, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. Really, it runs the gamut. Right now, they have a camp collection, which is so great. And there are extremely durable. They're laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe, and 100% guaranteed. Do your worst. (laughs) So head on over to MablesLabels.ca to start creating your very own labels, and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the US. Again, that's MablesLabels.ca and ThisFamilyTree15. And let's get back to our interview with Chantel. So, you know, you talk about a lot of things in this book. I mean, you go through of course, like drugs and alcohol, the things that every – sex, drugs, and alcohol, I'd say, are the things that every parent knows are going to have to talk about. You go through sugar babies. You go through catfishing. You go through a whole slew of things, eating disorders. Uh, what was the most difficult thing for you to broach with your own kids, like under this whole gamut of topics?
2: Well, I'd have to say, because I've always been a little bit of a party girl. So the sex, drugs, and rock and roll <laughs> part and smoking, that was not so hard because I was like, Ugh they've seen me do it. (laughs) So I'm like, well, no, (laughs) they know how I feel not good for you. But I can't really hold your hand to the fire on it. Because Mm -hmm. here I am hand up guilty. So I think for me, and I also struggled with bulimia when I was a teen. So I did have that history of having that eating disorder and self harm. I mean, my my life is very colorful, but I come from, you know, I was sexually I was raped at at 12. And then I was sexually abused from 12 to Uh, just before I turned 15. So, and my dad was an alcoholic neglectful guy. So I, yeah, wow. Terrible, terrible understanding of men and and how men Mm -hmm. are are in the world. So I had a lot of my own shit going on. So the hardest thing for me to write about in this book, and and mostly because I don't have experience with it was gender identity and LGBTQ because my Mm -hmm. girls were all born female and identify as female and are and have been in heterosexual relationships. So Mm -hmm. I, when I wrote this book, I was very mindful of that, not to speak out of pocket and out of turn. I have many friends who have kids who are, you know, gay and lesbian. So I wish I'd let them write a chapter. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of it, you know, but I would say probably a hard thing for me was writing this book without giving specific intimate details about what we went through as a family, what I went through with each of my daughters in in our household out of respect for their privacy. Cause you Mm -hmm. know, I may be their mother, but, and and it's our family story, but it's really their lives. So I didn't feel capable of, uh, I didn't feel like it was my right to speak to it, Mm -hmm. but it was painful to, you know, to talk, to go back to that place of, you know, being afraid for them during The patch of the eating disorder that we went through and then,
0: you know, also
2: self-harming. So I think it's beautiful and painful being a parent.
0: That's exactly it. That's, you know, I was talking about that the other day. There's everything in parenthood is is just a dichotomy and it's, it's beautiful. It's awful. It is scary. It's life-giving and it's all these things all at once. And it just, it takes everything out of you in the in the best and the most exhausting way possible. And you know, we've we've had on the podcast kind of recently actually an expert at teaching parents how to teach their kids at consent. More than that, she specializes in teaching parents who have been sexually assaulted who have had sexual trauma in their lives about their about how to teach that to your kids because trauma can, you know, come back and stop parents from destigmatizing certain things, allowing their kids enough freedoms. You know what I mean? So when it came to you, especially I think about the eating disorder thing because that eating disorders are so prevalent, so prevalent. And I don't think, unless you grew up as a teenage girl at one point in your life, I don't think that uh, people understand how, prevalent they are and even boys honestly in you know i think about that like approaching anything where you have past trauma or you have past negative experience how do you put that aside and teach it to your kids or do you use that in your conversations
2: well and that's the thing right i, I and it goes back to what i said earlier is like you've got to heal yourself the minute you get pregnant and the minute you bring light your, the life of your child into the world i can't say enough about how important it is to go through and heal your shit you gotta because if you don't you're going to put it on them and then Mm -hmm. this is how you this is how you don't break the generational patterns of being right. So I, I did a lot, a lot, a lot of self work. I did a lot of therapy. I did a lot of healing and, you know, there were times that it was going really well and was great. And then there were times where, you know, my trauma resurfaced and I would, and and I would be irrational as a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, my rules would be like ridiculous. And, and I'd go to therapy and she'd be like, well, you realize how old your daughter is right now. And I'd see, and she goes, well, that's your first sexual trauma. So you're really, you know, and so it was like, and then I had this incredible therapist who who taught me about that, to be aware, to be aware of the stages of where I had trauma and to not be surprised to end up having a more difficult time in mothering during those times because of fear.
0: You know, I think therapy could be good for everybody, just even if you haven't had traumas, just to help you make sense of your life because you're going to experience tough things. And then when you have kids in your responsibility – you're not just looking after, and screwing up isn't just you anymore, right? It's it's your family, and that that's kind of scary. It's so, a massive responsibility. It's a massive responsibility. One hundred percent. I'm I'm overwhelmed by it already on a daily basis, and my kids are still so young, right? <laughs> it's just all the unknowns. They freak me out, and I always struggle with like what kind of parent I want to be. Like I want to be cool in a sense, but. I, I know I'm going to be strict in another sense. And what kind of parent are you? And was it the same kind that you kind of set out to be? Well,
2: if I could be so bold to pat myself on the back, (laughs) I (laughs) I would definitely say I'm that parent that you want to be. I was totally strict, but I was super cool. And the thing is, I was a raging nightmare a lot of the time, but I knew my weaknesses and I was humble like Mm -hmm. i was always saying i'm sorry but i i i also was super real with them like i was vulnerable And I, you know, when, and I was old, I was age appropriate with them. I'd be like, I didn't say, you know, mommy blew it because daddy and mommy are having a hard time because daddy did this X, Y, and Z, you know, or mommy is too strict here because mommy was right. You know, like I Mm -hmm. I wasn't an idiot, but I, I was very, very conscientious of keeping them in the loop of why I lost my cool and Mm -hmm. why I'd been, you know, quote unquote unjust or my expectations were unrealistic. I didn't just fly off the handle and leave it and just be like, Oh, like, let's pretend that didn't happen. I owned it and I would come clean. And I would explain because I wanted to also teach them that it's okay to fall down. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to like, you know, make mistakes, but as long as you own it, as long as you say, sorry, and you make steps and strides to change. So I would say that my girls, I, I mean, I get, I get the greatest messages from them, you know? And like I said, they're, they're all adults and, you know, we're each other's favorite people. And I, if my girls message me and say, Hey, what are you do? you want to go for dinner? And I had plans for you. I'm sorry, but our plans have just been canceled. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go with my kids. I, I, they're my favorite. They're my favorite people. And I'm proud to be able to say that. And it wasn't easy. Yeah. You know, I, I had to stand my ground a lot of times when it would have been easier to not, And to just Mm -hmm. give in. But I think it was because we built a relationship that was based on it was based on truth. You know, I was truthful with them, I was available to them, and I did my best to be humble with them when I lost my mind, which was often
0: Yeah, as it would be for anybody. But you know, I I think being humble is such an important trait to have as a parent and it's funny shane and i on our last podcast we're talking about the best quality what we think are the most important qualities for a parent to have i didn't say anything about being humble but now i'm swayed and i think that is so important because we talk a lot about how important it is to support your kids in failure because failure is the quickest way to be a success in anything but it's like that as a parent too Nobody is given a handbook. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing when they leave a hospital with a kid. And then it's like the second you master the newborn phase, they're a toddler. The second you master the toddler phase, they're a kid. Then they're a teenager. Then they're making huge life decisions. And you're never actually prepared for it. And as a parent, you're going to stumble a lot. And you have to lead by example. Tell them when you're screwing up. Apologize. Say where you went wrong and how you want to fix it. And you have to show them that. And I think that's so crucial.
2: Yeah, well, I I mean, it worked for us. We both—that was our mindset to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think it was—I think it was the right thing to do because then you also teach them that it's okay to fail, it's okay to screw up, and it's okay to just, you know. And and I once, someone once told me that saying sorry for something you did is just a lazy person's way of getting around of being an asshole. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I I I don't think that statement completely. I, I think saying sorry. Let's that person know that you get yeah. that you you assaulted them either like emotionally mm-hmm. or verbally, and that you're you're recognizing that you've caused somebody pain and upset, and you're 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 making strides to not do it again. I, I don't think that you can say sorry too many times. I think I think if you say sorry and you repeat, 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 that that's that's a yeah. new problem. But I think kids love to hear you say sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, our kids love to have you go, "Hey, I'm looking back on what happened." whatever days ago, or when I made this decision and I want you to know, I don't feel that way anymore. And I'm sorry. i and I'm not going to make that decision going forward. And we, another thing we did with our girls is like, they would ask us for something and we would have to have three good reasons to say no, because that's another thing is exhausted. And it's just, no, no comes out easier. Yeah. And then what it did for our girls too, is it kind of, uh, it created this ability for them to, present their case, you know, present an, right. argu- a, 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 an argument as to Smart. why they feel like they should be allowed to do something or why they feel like they should have something. And it just created dialogue and conversation. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely not autocratic. It was, you know, we were, it was like we were our own little, um, you know, family business. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was actually no CEO. We were all CEOs of each other. You know what I mean? So no, And it was awesome. good it kept us in check
0: as parents. Absolutely. I think that's so smart because I feel like I do that a lot. And like this morning I was apologizing to my three-year-old because she didn't like my tone. So I was apologizing for my tone when I was saying no about something because it hurt her feelings. And you know what? It was like, I didn't think my tone was at a line. I thought I was just being stern. But if she told me, she said, mommy, that, that made me feel sad. You, I don't want her to feel sad, and I don't want her to say something to me that's going to make me feel sad. That's when we apologize. Even if I stand by what I said, I'm going to apologize for how I said it. Exactly, and there's no shame in that. In fact,
2: my 24 year old said something. I uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did this interview, and it went. It was shitty, and it went bad, and I it sucked. And the interviewer didn't know a thing about my book, hadn't done any read. Like I'm like, why are you waste? Why why are we doing this? So I got off, and she goes, "How was your interview?" And I go, "Oh, it was terrible. It just sucked." And she goes, "Oh, okay." And then I said something to her and she, was, she gave me a really short answer. And I go, what's with your attitude? Like I'm trying to engage with you. She goes, oh, you mean like the way you just, I just tried to engage with you and you <sighs> completely shut me down by Ooh. saying it's terrible. I was like, hmm, fair, fair. Yeah. I, go, I just feel like you're on edge. She goes, I'm not on edge. You absolutely are on edge. <laughs> and I was like, she's right. I, it's not her fault that was a terrible interview. I should have you know, not brought that out to her. But it's interesting. So when you have that dialogue with them from when they're little, Mm -hmm. You have that relationship when they're grown, where you can talk honestly to each other and call each other to be respectful. And that was why that was our number one house rule, be respectful.
0: I think that's huge. And so first of all, you know, I hope you don't get off of this call and you're like, oh, that was terrible. And secondly, you know, how how don't we lose our cool? Like, do you have any just fast, practical advice For parents who might be finding themselves in this season of parenting right now, and say, Do this, absolutely don't do this.
2: Okay. Well, 100%. If you are in a relationship with your parenting partner and you still live under one roof, have sex. Yes. It is a great stress reliever and it Mm -hmm. reconnects you to your partner. And let's be honest, you made a human with this person. This is your greatest uh, ally in raising your kid. Mm -hmm. So, being sexual with each other, being intimate with each other, being connected to each other, then you've got each other, you're, 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 you're synergistic. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're, 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 you're aligned and you're connected and you're, and that person's going to read your energy and be more supportive both ways, mm-hmm. husband, wife, 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 husband, husband, whatever your family. If so, if, if you're still in a uh, intimate relationship with your parenting partner mm-hmm. that I tell people it's it uh, for me and for Yannick, when we were up against it a lot, like had no money, had no jobs, you know, our kids were going through. I found that a lot of times being sexual with each other is very grounding and soothing. Yeah. So I agree. that is mm-hmm. my first. If you're in a situation where you're now a solo parent, put yourself first. Put yourself first. And I and parents are always like, oh my God, my kid comes first. No, because if you do a good job, yeah. that kid's gonna grow up and that kid's gonna leave. And if you've neglected yourself, you're going to be, you're going to be completely empty when they leave, because you'll have no friends. You'll have no passions. You'll have, you'll have nothing. They'll be mm-hmm. gone. And you'll, you'll be, you'll slip into depression and you'll be lost. So I tell parents do things for yourself first, like get up. If, if you're not a morning person, find some time in the middle of the day, do your med- whatever feels good meditation yeah. spend time in nature, But you've got to do something that feeds your soul every single day that helps identify you as your own person, not just as a parent. Those are my two sort of number
0: ones. Mm -hmm. So like Shane and I, we we feel pretty strongly about putting your relationship with your partner, if you, you know, like your kid's parent, if you can, if you're with them first before the kids even. And that's something that we always try to strive to do because when we don't do that, that's when things get out of whack. That's when we lose our patience with each other, everything. And my parents did the same. And now I want to ask you, so I have walked in on or heard or whatever so many times, Chantelle. like so many times. I thought I was ruined forever after the first time. After the second time, I'm like, well, I'm ruined forever now and forever in the afterlife. After the 20th time – I was like, you know what? I respect this. They love each other. I'm like 19 by this point. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with my partner. And now, like, it's totally – like, my – my there was a, a situation, the most recent thing was maybe three years ago or four years ago, where I accidentally got sent into my group chat with my parents. They accidentally – Sent text messages to that chat instead of their private chat. And that was it, you know, I was taken aback. But by that point, it was just like almost laughable. Like I I didn't care. I was just like, hey guys, watch who you're sending your messages to and left it at that. But have you ever been walked in on, found out in any way? And how do you deal with that? Because as our kids are getting older, that's going to be. You know, When they're little, it's like, oh, honey, mommy and daddy were wrestling. He was helping me itch my back, like something. But when they get older, they get it. How do you deal with that?
2: I have to say that our girls have only told us a handful of times in our (laughs) 33 years of being together that they've heard. So that's good. I I think we've we've had kids since we were 19. We've really mastered, I don't (laughs) know if it's a good thing, but we've really mastered the art of satisfying very quiet sex. (laughs) Now when we go out on holiday, like when we're alone, we're like, oh my God, like we can, oh my God, we can actually have sex with each other. like Somebody's <laughs> not underfoot and under roof. So I'd have to say they've only admitted that they've, but for sure they've read texts either because I'll be driving or now, you know, with car play, I have to say to Yannick, if we're in the <laughs> middle of like a, a sexy text exchange. I have to say to him. I'm driving now and so-and-so is in the car. With me, so he knows <laughs> that that line of conversations over because I don't want to hit, Hey Siri, what did Yannick say? And he's mm-hmm. like, Oh my God. So yeah, I have to say, yeah, it happens and it does happen. But you know what? I got exactly what you're saying. Our girls mm-hmm. share that sentiment. They, they, they're like, they love that he still grabs my yeah. ass. They love that they catch him fondling me, you know, or that they that we still make out or we talk about Mm -hmm. I can't wait till we're alone. And like, it's been too long. Like they, they love that because like you say, yeah, it's normal. And it's part of a healthy relationship and a healthy marriage. And it gives them something to aspire to and to understand that a long-term relationship, a healthy long-term relationship has those key elements. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like the, the love doesn't wane. What wanes is your commitment to the love. It's like you are in control of how healthy your marriage and Mm -hmm. your, your relationship will be. You are totally in the driver's seat. And, and I have a, my, my life coach said to me, she worked with me first and then Yannick did a, did a, worked with her as well. And we did her podcast and she said, and I can't remember who, who this was, but some great philosopher said, you can either invest in your marriage or you can invest in your divorce. (laughs) <laughs> which are, which are you going to, which are you going to choose? Like, yeah. where are you going to put your energy? Are you going to put your energy into making your marriage great and awesome and good? Cause you married the person for a reason. Yeah, I think there's very few people that are like, I married this person because they, I don't really want to marry them, but I don't want to marry, but, not why, not? Married, but yeah. why not? You know? So I, I always say that like, you've got to, you've got to find the elements and you've got to find the energy to go back. To recall why you love that person in the first place,
0: Mm -hmm. because
2: love is a decision. You got to decide every day to love your partner. You got to decide every day to love your kids, because you're going to want to strangle your kid more than you want to love them once they hit about 14.
0: Same with your spouse. Oh my god! And same with your spouse. I'd say once kids enter the picture at all, you're gonna like we just we another person we just spoke to Jancy Dunn who wrote uh, How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. And, wow, that's a great title. Right? <laughs> and yeah. it, it's it's about that. And it's about choosing the path towards unity, towards love, towards understanding. Because any – and here's the thing. Like any time you go out and as a married person maybe flirt with somebody else, send a coworker maybe, you know, a text that might cross a line or that you know isn't crossing a line but it's leaning towards that. Could be that. interpreted. Yeah. yeah. It's – you're making those decisions. You're making those choices. And like you said, I think that's perfect investing in a divorce, right? There's only two ways you can go. And yeah. for me, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a person who finds things in marriage very black and white. I'm, I do too. <laughs> I don't, I'm, there's no gray area <laughs> for me. When's your birthday? I, I, I'm up Pisces, March 20th. Oh. Why, why? I don't know anything about astrology does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Cause my, it's funny. My oh, no. February
2: Pisces, my daughter, who's February 25th is very much like that. She's very black mm. and white. There's no gray. Whereas my daughter who's March 17th is a little bit more like a little bit more like gray. So I find that fast. <laughs> I was going to say you strike me as a Gemini, which I am. Cause I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. Black, white,
0: period. 100%. 100%. And all like, I'm very jealous. Like I'm I try not to be, but I'm super jealous, and uh, it's like I don't even—I don't like a look. I don't. We we had to have a conversation because on our last podcast, like he was making a joke about like thinking about what life could be like with one of his ex girlfriends. We we were on rocky terms for two days, even though it was a joke, even though I know we're both a little performative for the podcast, and I was like. I can't, I can't do it. So we had to edit things out. Unthink that. I can't unthink
2: that. No, right? (laughs) No, for sure. Well, I, I, you know, Yannick and I, we, we had sex last night and I woke up this morning and I was mad at him. He goes, what What did I do while you were sleeping? I said, you had a girlfriend. You had a girlfriend in my dream. And he's like, in your dream. I mean, we literally made out before we went to sleep and we woke up and you were mad at me.
0: Chantelle, I don't know if it's good to admit I do the same thing. I do the exact same thing. I'm not proud of it. It's funny, I guess, because there's nothing else. You know, I don't know what else to do about it, but I'm the exact same way no matter how hard I try. We can have shame around it. But hey, you
2: know what? As long as you can admit it and you tell your partner and your partner gets it and they have grace for you and they have space for it, then you're then that's all good. I'm just I just happen to be fortunate. Thirty three years. He can just shake his head and smack my ass and go, you know, you're my wife.
0: (laughs) So is is the next book, How Not to Lose Your Cool in Your Marriage and How to Keep It Spicy up in the bedroom?
2: You know what? It was going to be. It was going to be. And then I had like this epiphany when I finished this book, I, because I, it was definitely supposed to be the third book. I realized that I talked about how to be your best parent with the kids and how to, mm. you know, and in that you talk about how to be a good partner. And then same with the teen thing. And I thought, you know what? A lot of my followers and a lot of the people who have an interest in me are kind of wanting to know how i overcame like my traumas yes, to become who i exact. am so i big feel exact. like m- i need to write the how to how to take care of yourself without losing your cool how to you know love yourself without losing your cool and then yes
0: it'll the fourth one will be the relationship one i think i think that'll be amazing i think it'll be so amazing and i think everybody listening should go and get the ones that you do have out as well as your merch and it is are you wearing the what the actual fuck one yeah i am yes blue. Yes. Okay. That one in white is like, Chef's Kiss. Incredible. I got to get my hands on it. And I'm going to send you
2: my books and the merch. So I need your address. You'll give that to me
0: after happily. (laughs) But where can where can listeners go to? Find your books, find your merch, check out what you're doing and what you're going to be doing.
2: So you can go to chantalbisson.com. And if you buy the books off there, obviously authors get more of the proceeds when you buy from us Mm -hmm. and they get signed and they come in really beautiful packaging. That's where you also find the merch. And then what you'll find there too, are some articles that I've written in the past about parenting. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of archived blog posts about parenting. Um, so it's really helpful. It's a full, you know, full-blown website, really cute and, and lovely and got a lot of good tips there. You can follow me on Chantelle Bisson Instagram because I, that's just my favorite platform. Same, um, yeah. It, people tell me I should be on Facebook. I can't figure out how to use it. I don't know. And then um, also go follow without losing your cool on Instagram because they're both mine, but they, they, they touch on different things. Mm-hmm. Chantelle is more about like me and my daily life and my, my marriage. And whereas the without was pulls more like quotes from the
0: book and parenting stuff. And I mean, soon to be grandparent content again. So, so exciting. Congrats again. And like, I'm going to be in it for the grandparent content. That's, that's the cutest kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs>
2: So just for the record, going back to what I said earlier about that terrible interview, this has been one of my favorite, but I, I know you have two little ones and I do think I do. I, my pregnant daughter did slip. So, and now she's hobbling. So I'm hoping she didn't twist her ankle.
0: All right. Well, go love her up. Take care of her. And Chantel, seriously, thank you so much for your time today. Likewise, I could sit with your, with you here all day, but All the best. And looking forward to just connecting with you via online stuff. Whenever. We will. We will. I I need your address. Absolutely. Take care, Chantel. Nice to meet you. That was Chantel. What'd you think?
1: I didn't listen. No,
0: you heard me chatting in the other room and you thought it was funny after I did it.
1: Oh, yes. I thought I I was thinking you were getting along famously and I I could tell it was one of those great interviews and you said it was one of those great interviews and you said she had a great time too and you were beaming after this.
0: Oh, I had so much fun and I feel like if I saw her in real life, we'd have just a night like we'd have so much fun. She is fantastic. She is very talented and like I said off the top, so much great information in there and of course in her books. So check them out, uh, you know, regardless of where you are in your parenting journey, as long as your kids are still in the house, I'd say.
1: But we have another interview.
0: Another fantastic one with Amy Miller rolling through motherhood.
1: But before we get to this one, let's let everyone know who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And it's
1: a totally normal spelling of breast, right? Totally normal. No, it's not, Alex. That was a test. B-R-E-S-T.
0: B-R-E-S-T. Ugh, no A. Always forget. But for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design, like it just goes right around your body and clips really nicely in place. It supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world and Shane and Alex credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible.
1: That's right. I have used the pillow.
0: You have.
1: Because men can use a nursing pillow. It's called My Breast Friend, but men can use it.
0: Well, you give a baby a bottle, that's nursing a baby with a bottle.
1: And I guess I have breasts.
0: (laughs) It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. All right, now let's get to our interview with Amy Miller. All right, so it's official. Amy, rolling through motherhood. Thank you for today. So... I've been wondering if I should reach out to you for a while to be on our podcast. I've been following you for a while. You're, you're really cool. And there's something that was intimidating me. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But you're so open about uh, certain things that I think I'm scared to be open about and that I get really vulnerable about. And it's just, it's so cool to see. And it kind of made me nervous but you're here with us now. And before we get into things, I wanted to kind of break down a little bit in your Instagram bio for the listeners and for myself so we can learn some more about you. Okay, so first off, you're a birth worker. What is that? And what do you do? So my work
3: honestly started with a lot of birth and postpartum work as a doula. And then it kind of grew into something bigger and different. And what that looks like for me is that I do full spectrum care. And so I meet people that are going through abortions, loss, pregnancy, birth, adoption, fertility. Yeah, people from all different walks of life. But I have centered my work around supporting people with disabilities and chronic illness. So that has been really amazing because the resources are so low right now I'm also doing a lot of educating with uh, organizations and other birth workers to teach them about you know supporting clients with disabilities and chronic illness and how to be inclusive in their work and things like that so yeah it's grown a lot and it's it's really amazing work
0: and how long have you been doing that close to four years now that's awesome yeah. Good for you. Good for you. So how, how old is your son?
3: He is almost four himself.
0: <laughs> okay. So yeah, I was going to ask yeah. what came first, like, I guess your interest in motherhood, your son or doing this work, working as a doula and a birth worker?
3: I honestly didn't have a lot of experience with birth work, doula work, uh, anything like that through my pregnancy. But towards the end, it's something that I found out about. And I was like, that's just incredible. That's really just incredible. And, you know, my own experiences and, and seeing the gaps and means of support, I was like, I have to do something about this. I have to I have to get in there, too, and, mm-hmm. and make changes and impacts where I see that there's a need for it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, as a, I, I am not disabled, but I have chronic illness, which is I know totally different thing. But as a cis woman without disability, I know the importance of, you know, having support during those days because you are at your most vulnerable. You're going through things that you've never experienced. Your partner, if you have a male partner or just a partner who has not given birth, it's going to be very hard for them to understand. And, you know, that's not being an intersectional person. And now that's kind of the next thing I wanted to touch on. So if you could, Give us a background, so I know you are intersectional. You identify as queer and you are disabled. What is the, what is like, sorry, I'm trying to think of care in that. Like, do do doctors ask about that? Do you have to be? Do you have to vocalize that? Do they treat you different?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I guess it depends what kind of doctor I'm seeing and what it's for. But right off the bat, I have the partner that I have a child with is a cis male, and so there's an automatic assumption that. I'm heterosexual and monogamous, and like that's just our family dynamic. And then also on the other hand, you have doctors that they don't understand disability; they've never seen somebody with a disability like what I have. And you know, sometimes they've called in people to the room to like examine me for something that was unrelated to what I was there for. And so, yeah, I think that that's such a common experience throughout these communities is that there's not enough education in, in terms of medical support for people to, to give us the supports that we need and the access to things that we need because they have no idea what we need.
0: hmm. Yep. And okay, so there's one thing you mentioned that I want to touch on, but I'm going to save that, that you are not monogamous. And I'm I'm very interested in that in that family dynamic and how that works. I'm a very jealous person, Amy, I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> but first, I, what
3: is your diagnosis? Um, I have Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And those are two connective tissue disorders. So connective tissue affects so many different things in your body, it makes up basically you as a whole. And so there's this trickle of diagnoses that fall under those umbrellas, like right. gastroparesis and scoliosis and heart issues. So I'm impacted in a lot of different ways. And everyone that, you know, has a diagnosis like Marfan syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, they can be, in, they could be impacted in ways that look different from other people, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like we don't all show the same kind of presenting effects of, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, either. Absolutely. And then is it like specific symptom of Marfan or I I, I honestly cannot pronounce
3: the other. EDS.
0: Okay. EDS or something from that, that, you know, restricts you. I know you often use crutches, um, a wheelchair. So what is it that, you know, requires you to use supports? It changes day to day.
3: I mean, I I was paralyzed from the neck down when I had a spinal surgery uh, when I was a child. And I've regained a lot of that. And I'm able to walk now. Um, but there was a point in my life where I peed through a catheter that I used every time I used the bathroom. And my family would, you know, they carried me around the house because I couldn't walk anywhere. So yeah, it's, it's changed throughout my life in terms of why I need certain supports. And then there's days where it's related to my heart or related to being really dizzy or just fatigue. So it's, it's so important to have for me to have multitudes of AIDS Mm -hmm. so that
0: depending on the day I have the support that my body needs. Mm-hmm. So when you were getting a spinal surgery, like was that for scoliosis? And then how long were you paralyzed for? I honestly don't remember. I've had a few spinal
3: surgeries. And I just remember being in the hospital for a long time and then living in a rehabilitation hospital like by myself wow. for a long time. Yeah. So you were young. And I was young. Yeah. I think I was still in an elementary school or might have transitioned into middle school but like somewhere around that age and i don't even remember how long i was there for but it was a while Mm -hmm. and even now i still like i can't move my feet i can't like separate my toes things like that i don't have a lot of sensation from the waist down and you know as i grow and my back changes that can change and it's just important to always you know be following up with your care team and and listening to your body and like if you have changes then getting it checked out kind of thing
0: absolutely and you know in regards to motherhood so I remember the first time a doctor brought up having kids with me, I was, it was when I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 23. And they said, you probably won't be able, like this was this was just the first meeting I had in regards to lupus where they were just going to sit me down and tell me that I had lupus that from all my tests that I had been doing for a year, right? So I'm not expecting it to be heavier than them giving me a diagnosis because that's heavy enough. So oh, they yeah. tell me I have lupus. So I'm like, okay, so I'm trying to, you know, gather that. I'd spent a year in and out of hospital. And then they began telling me what, you know, other things I should expect. And then she just looks at me and she goes, oh, and you probably can't have kids. And she just kind of threw it out. And it it took me aback. I was shocked. And I I immediately started crying. And I said, this is too much for me. I can't. And then I, I just walked out of the appointment. And I got a different doctor, one that was more gentle. But that was hard to hear. Of course, it wasn't true. I have, I have two children now, but what was that ever brought up? And if so, at what point in your life did doctors start talking to you about that? And was having children ever ruled out or what, what did that look like for you?
3: Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was brought up from a young age and it was always, um, this thing of being told that I, I probably can't have kids or I shouldn't have kids. And then there's doctors that have really strong opinions on people with conditions like mine not having kids. And, you know, I, I've i been told by a doctor
0: that I should be sterilized. In in their perspective, is, is this like an ethical standpoint that they're taking?
3: No, I'm, I know tons of people with Marfan syndrome and EDS that are parents that have, mm-hmm. you know, had pregnancies. There are situations where somebody say, has like heavy heart impact to their like what they're experiencing, and they, it's not really safe on their heart to carry a pregnancy or deliver a baby, you know, that can uh, make sense. But in terms of just having a Marfan diagnosis, or an EDS diagnosis, that's not like an indication that you you inherently can't have kids Mm -hmm. and a lot of doctors believe that it is. And that's, there's a bias there. And I think that there's because there's a 50% chance that Marfan or EDS can be passed down to children at each pregnancy. So every pregnancy that somebody has, that risk is there. And some people think that that's not, you know, worth a risk. And I would never tell someone that their personal choice to, you know, not have kids because of that was Mm -hmm. wrong because it is, it's a personal choice, but I think that it's really unprofessional for doctors to bring a personal bias into a situation because like, I'm not here for their opinion.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. I'm here to know, is it safe for me medically? And, you know, sometimes those are two different answers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, Uh, Absolutely. And I know that, you know, this does like this, the ethics of having children. I mean, this could, I've heard people on TikTok come at it from a environmentalist angle. I've heard people talk to me about it from a lupus angle, because there's a chance my daughters will have lupus. And uh, I actually have a friend who has a genetic disease. Uh, Her father died from it. it. It is very scary. She doesn't know if she has a gene or not, and she doesn't want to know because she will just possibly get it at some point. But she went through, they're very privileged, they're well off, but they went through IVF to ensure that the eggs chosen did not have that genetic illness, right? So was, like, is that an ethical conversation that comes up or it, it doesn't, appro- like, I don't know how somebody would approach that or not approach that. Is, is there a thought about it? Yeah, that's something that we had to think about as well.
3: That was something that was presented Mm -hmm. to us. And, you know, some doctors think that that's a a better route to take. My son has Marfan syndrome Mm -hmm. as well. And my partner and I, in our families, we discussed, you know, that wouldn't, like, change how, like, if we did that, we wouldn't have our son. It's a huge thing to think about. And it's, you have to think about the future and and what that could look like. And for some families that's, that doesn't feel like an option to them, not, not an option, but that doesn't feel like if they can try and change what that looks like, that's important to them. And again, like I have had clients that have gone through similar things and I I don't put a personal bias on it. It, For me, it's a different thing. For somebody else, I would definitely support them through that. But there are people in the community that, you know, kind of view that a little bit like eugenics and have strong feelings about erasure of the disability community and what that looks like as well. So there are, you know, two really important conversations going on around that, of course.
0: Yeah, of course. You you know what? It's funny because I've gotten in those conversations in regards to things like Down syndrome, because I know in some countries they were experimenting with doing that. Um, And that is scary to me. Uh, One of my close friends has Down syndrome, my close friend's brother. I grew up with him. And that is scary because he is one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, And just so full of energy and happiness and light. And to have his personality change, his soul change would be a tragedy. But To be honest, and this is, you know, coming again from somebody who doesn't have experience with disability, I haven't thought about eugenics or erasure when considering other disabilities. So is that something that you feel personally strongly about? I believe that eugenics is something that happened in the
3: disability community and still happens in the disability community. I support, I guess, both. Size of it, but for the for the right reasons, like not just assuming that disability
0: equals bad. Amy, you're you're a much more forgiving and patient person than I am. <laughs> I, I can't always uh, hold my opinions to myself because sometimes it is hard for me to see the other side, especially if it's yeah. something that I am passionate about. Feel is right, or feel is in. I don't know. It's hard. It it is hard. And honestly, and having these conversations is tricky. And I stumble a lot when having these conversations because I'm learning how to go about them myself. So if I stumble here, call me out, please correct me. And I'm just, I am learning and I do myself and my husband, we are trying to get better at approaching these conversations, especially raising our daughters. Like, we've spoken to people in wheelchairs, got embarrassed because we didn't know how to talk about that. And it, there's so many little things that we we want to just take any hesitation out of our minds with. But I want to get to motherhood for you. I want to hear about your birth story, because that is going to look different than my own and than many people's. But did you always want to be a mom? Yeah, yeah, I did. And you know, now that
3: I'm thinking about it, I think maybe the reason why I wanted to be a mom so bad is because I wanted people to like see that I was capable of like doing like not always just be the one being taken care of and yeah I've I've always wanted to be a mom I've always loved being around children as something that you know through and through has just been a part of me kind of forever and it's still you know i still have a hard time believing sometimes that you know i i am here in this place that i have a child and uh it's a, it's a beautiful thing so thankful always
0: i have that hard time as well i still yeah <laughs> i still have a hard time thinking about that sometimes but so what did that look like for you so you said you have very little sensation yeah in your legs right so I think about pregnancy. I think about birth. I'm assuming you had a C section, but I I don't know. So what were what were, okay, so what were those experiences like? Like how did pregnancy look different for you?
3: Well, you know, I'll just say right off the bat, I found out I was pregnant in a doctor's office with my friend and I was just like, Yeah, I'm really, really sick. I've been sick for a long time. I have gastropresis, so like I throw up a lot. No. Way. Um, but I was like, Yeah, I'm really sick. Uh, With throwing up, like just throwing up all the time. But that was the only like thing that was going on. And the nurse just like showed me the stick and I was like looking at it and it was just one of those strips, right? And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she was like, you're pregnant. And then she like tossed it into the garbage, which my friend fished out for (gasps) me. So she, (laughs) um, yeah, why why would she? I don't know. It was like a really like you're, you're, you're pregnant. That's that. And then she was like, you need to go to the hospital. We need to rule out ectopic pregnancy. I think something's like wrong with you. And it was really scary. So I told my partner by calling him, like crying and saying, I need to go to the hospital. I'm pregnant. And like, you need to come with me to the hospital. And then, you know, everything was okay. But right off the bat, there is that like initial something must be wrong, right? That was hard. And then going on with it, you know, 13 weeks or so, I started. Uh, that's how far you were? No, this was earlier on. But around 13 weeks okay. or so, I started getting really sick with like passing out. Jeez. And I was in the mall with the same friend and I passed out in the food court. had to get rushed by ambulance to the hospital and that's when we found out I had some more heart stuff going on oh my god and my wedding was two days after (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know if I was going to make it to my wedding so yeah but I did and you know as my pregnancy progressed everything kind of built up and I ended up on bed rest I ended up with PSW support I ended up with I raised toilet bars beside my bed, uh, bars beside my couch, and then I couldn't really leave the bed at all. And uh, so that was lonely. And of
0: course. So, okay. So, you're it wasn't planned, but you did always want to be a mother. So, it's a life-changing surprise, regardless, especially if you're getting married. I mean, that's going <laughs> to throw you off, definitely. But was this, like, totally a surprise out of nowhere? Or were you guys kind of like, oh, if it happens, it happens?
3: No, we had been planning because when – so so earlier when I said I was told, like, I should be sterilized, mm-hmm. that was by someone putting me to sleep for a procedure, and it was really out of the blue. And she just said it and, like, put me to sleep. And when I woke up, like I was just so terrified and that stuck with me. And I was like, should I be sterilized? Like, is it really dangerous for me to be potentially getting pregnant? And we met with a geneticist and he was like, like yeah, absolutely. You can have a kid mm-hmm. just because you have marfan syndrome doesn't mean you can't have a kid. Yeah, I didn't even I couldn't believe what he was saying, but we knew that we had spoken with my care team and they all said it was safe for me. So it wasn't planned, but it wasn't like a huge surprise. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that does sound like an incredibly isolating experience in pregnancy. And that, honestly, like I had a really hard time in pregnancy. I hated being pregnant. In retrospect, I'm like, oh, it was so beautiful. I missed the kicks. I missed my belly. I loved the feeling of my kids being safe inside me. But I'm like, no, I had a, I had a terrible time. And I was, I couldn't move for, in both my pregnancies for the last couple months because the babies sat abnormally low, and my lupus exacerbated all the regular pregnancy symptoms. So I was just so fatigued, like beyond regular present pregnancy fatigue. And it was hard. Uh, but here's the thing. I was still mobile to a point and it was safe for me to a degree to walk around, which is different than what yeah. you experienced. How did you get through that?
3: It was hard. Yeah. I felt the same way, honestly, when I was pregnant. I really loved it. I thought it was like a really beautiful experience and I was just soaking up all the kicks and stuff. But <laughs> There are parts of it where my mental health was extremely impacted. I was terrified all the time because Mm -hmm. there were risks. And um, I was also feeling like lost because I was used to kind of doing a certain level of things by myself and having a certain amount of independence. And a lot of that, I lost it for, you know, some of it I haven't even gotten back so there there are things that I was kind of grieving at the Mm -hmm. same time and I just wanted like to have a shower by myself and I couldn't Mm -hmm. and my partner was working so I was just at home basically alone a lot of the time and your mind wanders and sometimes it's not a good thing
0: yeah yeah Absolutely. So, of course, that led to a, a, a planned C-section, right? So, what is what does that look like in the first kind of moments after birth? Like, does that look different for you having Marfan and EDS than it would for me, let's say, like in regards to maybe examining the baby after he comes out, things yeah. like that? My son was monitored in
3: pregnancy. They do uh, fetal echoes, which is so cool. So cool. I had those two, Amy. Um,
0: I got them every yeah, two weeks. They it was wild. my friend. and it was relaxing. You get to sit on the table for yeah. like two hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so so there
3: was that, and and we knew from the field echoes that he had some heart involvement going on. Mm-hmm. And so we were like assuming that was probably Marfan related. But when he was born, there were certain tests, so core blood testing. And of course, like the Apgar testing and they also check things like his fingers and his toes, like how long they are, how long his limbs were, things like that. Because one of the big indications, not always, but one of the big indications of Marfan is like really, really long limbs Mm -hmm. and fingers and toes. So yeah, he he checked all those things and we knew like he probably had Marfan, but that didn't come back till later. Mm -hmm. And so he had a little bit of complications at birth. He was in the NICU for a little bit. I had a little bit of complications. And after birth, they have to really, really watch my heart and make sure that I'm not having like an aortic dissection or anything Mm. like that. Make sure that my pain is monitored. um, So there's not a lot of stress on my body, things like that. And just watching the baby for a little bit. So we spent five days in the hospital, which is not too bad. They made sure we were both pretty safe to go home. And I felt okay leaving the hospital. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. And your son is so sweet, by the way. <laughs> I, I <laughs> love, you. I love when you put him on your page. He's really sweet. And, you know, I think about those first, especially the fourth trimester, right? So you're a new mom, you feel like you got hit by a bus. And it, I mean, C section, that's major surgery. So it's, it, it's so hard. It's so hard. And then not only do you feel like you got hit by a bus and you're recovering from major surgery, but you have this little tiny peanut of a thing that you need to keep alive and that you need to bond with. And there's a lot of responsibility. You're not getting sleep. It can be isolating. And in my first like postpartum period with my daughter, Lucy, like I really, I really tried after I could finally walk again. So I two weeks later, I was feeling better to walk for more than like five minutes at a time because I had a really nasty episiotomy. And I started getting out. And then I found solace in going out almost every single day, almost every day. What did postpartum look like for you? And how did you, if you tried to integrate within a community, how, how did you find a community or did you not find one? I did find a community. I
3: found several. So yeah. Postpartum was really hard for me. I I physically couldn't like h- lifting him in general was hard, but in a car seat, like forget about oh it. <laughs> like those things are heavy. <laughs> so I always had to have someone with me every time that I leave the house. I pretty much uh, still do. I can't really do the car seats by myself, but I started going to a fourth trimester group and nobody in that group uh, had a disability that you know, that they shared about anyway, Mm -hmm. and they were still so supportive. And my son got really sick, a few like following his birth, and he was hospitalized for a long time. And they were really, 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 really supportive. But I also reached out online, and I found a disability parenting community. Mm -hmm. And that kind of changed my world because I had never seen anyone that was going through the same things and all of a sudden we could talk about, you know, how do you put on a baby carrier when you don't have like a lot of upper body strength? How do you, you know, get your baby around the house, things like that. And just like having those people hold space for you and like get it is Mm -hmm it's it's kind of like next level. I've yeah, I, I I'm still so in awe with with that community and how we support each other and it's just really beautiful.
0: No, that's that is so amazing. And you know, I feel so just as fortunate for my communities, but again, it's easier. My community's the norm and that's easier and I can imagine, you know, just the gratitude that you must have felt. Like that's to be seen and to be able to have those conversations and to vent whatever is the most powerful thing, I think, when you're in that, that possibly isolating time. And, you know, what do you think is the biggest misconception about being a disabled parent? I think that it's that if we need care, that we can't give
3: care ourselves. Like the two can exist at the same time. So for example, my partner is like a caregiver to me. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he helps me with a lot of my needs. But I am also a caregiver, right. And so people think that if you have a caregiver, or if you, you know, maybe you have a baby and somebody else has to physically hold a bottle to feed them, mm-hmm. right? You're still feeding your baby like, that's still an like, you know what I mean? It's still your experience. And people think that if you have those supports in place, you are not parenting. You're not a parent. You're not a good parent. If you need a support person every time you leave the house, things like that. And that's hard because we, we carry that and we internalize that. And we think like, it's not right for us to like use our supports or for people to see us using Mm supports. So we get embarrassed and I just, Want it normalized and, yeah, for people to feel safe to to get the supports that they need.
0: All right, Amy, let's take a quick break and let everyone know who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto.
1: These are the best clothes ever. The best. We would wear them if we were tiny.
0: I <laughs> know. Oh, I wish we could. And, you know, Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity and they make the best basics for your littles like fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft comfy and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low-impact non-toxic dyes they're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts You can find the company online at Minimiosh.com or at Mini miosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're going to get 15% off your order. That's available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is Minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit.
1: And I say it all the time, but it is... The first and the best.
0: The first and the best, hands down. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever.
1: And man, I have so many times throughout the year where I do just take a break from mm-hmm. drinking hard alcohol and slip into my seed lip. And honestly, that transition is smooth.
0: Oh, it's so seamless. And you know, as a non-drinker, it never feels good when the only options are water, soda or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the boost without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices or savory herbs, seed lip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional. Additional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of SeedLip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, which we had tonight, are alcohol free and have their own unique flavors which pair so perfectly with a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, like the ones you'll find in the SeedLip cocktail book or on Instagram at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10. And let's get back to our interview with Amy. Do you ever get that kind of in regards to perceptions about your marriage too? Because I think, you know, if your husband is caregiver and your partner – Do do people understand the nuance there, like when you're first meeting them, or do they make assumptions because everything is reciprocal, right? Like your, your, your husband wouldn't be in that position if there wasn't some sort of reciprocity and if he wasn't getting needs met too. So do you find that people make those assumptions? Oh yeah. All the time. I will say,
3: so sometimes people look at me and they don't think I'm disabled. right? Right? Like I have a physical disability, but sometimes you can't always tell and people are more okay with it then. However, when we're out and I'm in my wheelchair or something, we'll be stopped by strangers on the street and they'll be like, I don't know how you do it. I could never like, you know, and, and even people we know, we've had people tell us like, you're all you do is like give and you don't get anything back and like, they think that I don't contribute anything to the relationship because I have physical access needs, mm-hmm. which is not true. It's just like, maybe they're not seeing those things the same way and it's not their relationship. So like, I don't give up, you know what yeah, I mean?
0: Of you, you can swear if you want on this podcast, we welcome the fuck <laughs> word. Cool. <laughs> cool.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't like, and, and, and yeah, it's easy to say that, but it's also easy to internalize those things mm-hmm. and being like. Do I give anything to the relationship? Is my partner happy? And even if my partners are telling me I'm happy, it's sometimes it's hard for me to believe that when they're giving so much, you know, and it's like, yeah, love languages look different sometimes. And
0: well, that's and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I think anybody, if they really want to understand that, can sit back and even just look at their own relationship and look at their own love languages. Like, my love language is so different from Shane's. We talk about this all the time in the podcast. Like, I'm all about physical touch and words of affirmation. He's all about acts of service. Like, nothing is sexier than if I can, like, tidy up our playroom in our living room, which is, like, if I turn the computer around – you would be aghast with how disorganized <laughs> it is, so I'm clearly not meeting that. his love language at the moment. <laughs> but, but it yeah. is so different, and and that's the thing. In the most, you know uh, normalized relationship, if you want to think of what society thinks as normalized, the love languages are so different there. Never mind, yeah. a more marginalized relationship, or, you know, one that we have less education about or know less about. But, like, Amy, you occupy such a unique space in the motherhood community. And, I mean, on Instagram, like, I'm one of two million white chicks, that cis white chicks in a straight-sized body that's doing the motherhood thing, right? But you occupy an incredibly unique space. And for you, what is the importance of talking about your story?
3: Yeah, honestly – it's a huge thing for me. And I, I spent so much of my life pretending that I wasn't disabled and I would be going through these huge things or walking around with like a tube coming out of my nose or whatever, and just be like, it's fine. I'm fine. Like this is, you know, and not really talk about it. And so I felt so lonely. I felt so like, no one understands what I'm going through from the outside and then no one can relate also because I don't know anybody who's the same as me. And so sharing my story has both normalized and educated on certain things that like, aren't really out there, but also has given me huge amounts of connection myself. When I started my career in birth work, I was basically advised not to share my story. And that didn't work for me. I didn't connect to to clients the same way. I wasn't doing this type of work that I'm like super passionate about. And once I changed that, once I started sharing my story, I was seeing how many people needed that information because they haven't felt it themselves, that connection, or people who had no idea
0: that people live these lives and we do. And no, ab- absolutely. And do you find that, like, through you sharing your story, do you still, like, the people around you, your support system, your friends and family, and I'm sure they are so much more well-versed and they're probably practicing dismantling their own kind of internalized ableism more than somebody who isn't directly faced with disability every single day. But do you find that – this is what I'm assuming too. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. But do you find that through you being so open about it and talking about it so much that people around you in your direct – you know, your inner circle – are better at recognizing internalized ableism and better at making accommodations?
3: Yeah. I'll say there's people in my life that want to take those steps and do those things and make those changes and see the things. Um, but there's people in my life that don't. And, you know, I have immediate family members that still use our word and slurs when they're talking to me and I could talk till I'm blue in the face and it won't change anything. So that's hard. Mm -hmm. It feels like they don't see me, but there are people that they make those changes and they come to me all the time. Like, Oh, this thing happened. And I would have never seen it this way before, but because you shared this thing or whatever, I was able to think about it differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have those conversations all the time. So I think that that's really amazing because even some of the things I, like I was born disabled, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know all of these things before I was part of these communities and actively learning. So, you
0: know, the information's out there and Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, if you're not actively looking for like educational literature for this for listeners follow rolling through motherhood on instagram follow disabled accounts on instagram because it is it is so enlightening and honestly i since i've been following you cuz i've been following you for like like 6 months and it has been so enlightening to conclude i want to spend a little bit of time on something you brought up earlier and that is a relationship dynamic because you're married to a cis man as as you said you identify as queer and you mentioned that you are not monogamous and I, I've seen, you know, you post about things like that before and I was like, ooh, I wonder if there's gonna be a moment in the interview to ask about this. So what does that relationship dynamic look like? It looks
3: different all the time, honestly.
0: You don't mean to
3: be actively in multiple relationships to be polyamorous or non-monogamous. And a lot of people they'll be like, oh, I'm not like polyam enough because I'm not dating three people or whatever Mm -hmm. and that's just not true at all it's very much your internal self this is an individual need that I have and it works in my relationship but there's a lot of groundwork that happens for it to work for me and my partner and partners Mm
0: -hmm.
3: especially because now I'm a parent and you know I've been polyamorous since before I had kids Mm -hmm. but you know, that changed a lot when I became a parent. And I have to think about what that means for for me and my family. And for me, honestly, it's, I can't rely on one person to meet all the needs that I have. And I recognize that my partner recognizes that and it's okay for me to, to know that I can have love and friendship and relationships with other people. And it, is consensual and everyone mm-hmm. is like, everyone knows what's going on and is okay and happy and comfortable and yeah, yeah. that's like the most important part.
0: See, now I, I don't wanna strive to be polyamorous cause that's that's not in the cards for me, but I do strive to have uh, a level of your self-awareness and uh, just knowledge of what you need as a person because i think that like you sound so calm in describing that and for me i mean i've oof. like i was watching a uh, vicky cristina barcelona last night i don't know if you've ever seen that and uh, no, the penelope cruz character almost she in the past tried to kill her husband cuz he looked at another woman I'm like oh, more along those lines. <laughs> so, so you know, to have that that level of self-awareness and self-assuredness, I think, in a relationship is something that I do strive for. And when I was talking about you being so cool at the beginning of the interview, this is one of the main ways. I'm like, oh, I just, I need some of these traits. I need to start internalizing some of these traits. But Amy, if there is one thing that you want people to take away from your story, your account, what would it be?
3: yeah that's that's a big one i i think honestly is that like people like me like we live very normal lives like we exist we're just trying to you know be here and it's it's hard when people don't like want to understand so it would be nice for people to kind of like not only learn from my account but maybe follow my account and say I want to learn more about this and mm-hmm. I'm gonna expand and kind of evolve and
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely and where can listeners go uh, to find you online I don't know if you're on more than Instagram I, that's where I follow you but where can they find your online presence or any any work that you do Honestly, I'm mostly just on Instagram right now, uh,
3: working on a website that's kind of been in the making for a while, but yeah, mostly just on Instagram currently and um, can be reached at Rolling Through Motherhood.
0: Amazing. And Amy, very last question of this interview. Where did you get your top? This is for personal reasons. I need it. (laughs) <laughs> at a thrift store. Ah. <laughs> so, actually, no. You know what? I think it's from Zara. I think it's from Zara. So. You know what? Some of my favorite thrift finds are Zara thrift finds, and yeah. I like I like do a happy dance whenever I find something from you know just something like that at a, a, in a thrift. So that's I love it. It's I've very cool. Thrift
3: stores big time.
0: <laughs> Same with me. <laughs> Same. I'm not a yeah. huge shopper, but I like thrifting. But. Amy, truly, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you being here and I really appreciate you sharing so much of your story. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been so cool to chat with you today. Oh, heck yeah. I like when my uh, Instagram people can, you know, we can kind of meet virtually and it makes things a little bit more yeah. real. But again, thank you so much and enjoy your weekend. And again, thank you for the time change. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Have fun. Enjoy Absolutely. Yourselves. Yeah. Well, take care. Bye.
1: Another interview down. Another great interview that I did not listen to. (laughs) I know.
0: Shane, I'm missing you on these things. No, you're not. Well, a little bit. But you know what? I I am enjoying chatting with the guests at my own pace. And I hope the listeners are okay with that too. But Amy was so insightful. She spoke so genuinely and so candidly. And I'm incredibly grateful for her sitting down with us. It was, she was fantastic.
1: All right. I'm grateful for this next segment, which is where people, listeners, submit questions. You research them, answer them. I sit back and listen and chime in if I need to. Do I need to?
0: Yes, you always need to, babe. People want to hear from you too.
1: This is the mailbag segment.
0: All right, let's do it. So the first question, what is the best advice you've ever had from a guest? I'll start off and give Shane a second to think about it. But for sure, and I've talked about this before, the 10-minute miracle or just how to talk to kids about feelings in general from big little feelings. Kristen and Dina know their S and they know how to you know, help kids feel heard and seen and help kind of start those foundations in your house. But the 10-minute miracle essentially is if you have a kid who is acting out like this was Lucy after we brought Betty home and she was really acting out but the 10-minute miracle is you do 10 minutes with that child a day, nobody else around, no other kids, not the other spouse. You do not have your phone on you. There are no distractions. And you are immersing yourself fully into really, you know, really fun play, doing whatever they want to do. And that can truly help behavior in that 10 minutes. It's such a short time in your day and it goes such a long way.
1: Yeah, I feel like everything in the Big Little Feelings interview, I would just say that whole interview changed the way I parent Mm -hmm. and everything, like bedtime routines, everything. And then Erin Treloar from Raw Beauty Talks, talking to her affected me a lot in terms of beauty and having girls and how to talk about beauty in general. And do I call her pretty every time she puts on a dress? So... I like to just say Lucy looks nice mm-hmm. and to me that is the perfect middle ground where I don't feel like I'm propping her up like she has to be some doll all the time Yeah, and nice to me can mean many things but I just don't feel great about using pretty all the time. I'm sure maybe I, it slips out of me once or twice a year but it's not something I want to overly use.
0: No, that's that's an incredibly important interview. And again, like change the foundations of I think how we speak at home. Number two, phantom crying. What is it? And can dads hear it too? Shane, do you know what phantom crying is?
1: I think when you're so used to hearing your kids crying that it, it goes on even when like you hear it even when they're not.
0: Yes. So Megan Gray, who's a medical doctor and OBGYN from Orlando Health Physician Associate, says that many moms report experiencing phantom cries. I hear them every single night when we're lying in bed, even if the kids aren't crying. And it most likely has to do with a highly stimulated maternal brain that's wired to, you know, being a, being cued by baby's cries, leading to a heightened awareness to sound. So When I'm hearing phantom crying, it's usually I'm just hearing the hum of the monitors, but in my brain, it just turns and it cries. And she also explained that anxiety and general worry play a role in this too. And you think about how overstimulated and overworked a lot of moms are if they're the primary caregiver, and that leads to this. Now, the second part of the question is, can dads hear it too? And people in other situations, not just dads, that are having to acutely respond to some kind of stimulus can experience the same thing, whether it is you know, a doctor hearing phantom pagers or things like that. So dads, if they are the primary caregiver, if a grandparent is the primary caregiver, they will also likely hear these phantom cries. And if you're having trouble, whether you're a mom, a dad, a different kind of caregiver... If you're having trouble getting these to stop, you're hearing them all the time, that probably means that you have a large source of stress in your life or you're not getting enough sleep. So take care of yourself. Make sure you're okay. And then, you know, hopefully that will be able to ease up as well. So yeah, dads can hear it too. And phantom cries aren't just in your head. They're they're like an actual thing. Yeah.
1: Do you ever hear me crying in my pillow? (laughs)
0: Is it because I'm only going to be letting you get out once a week?
1: No, sometimes you're quite uh, mean to me.
0: (laughs) Get out of here. You don't know it. (laughs) You look like such a little kid right now. You're making a funny face. All right. Who did you go to for advice when you were growing up? So for me, it was different people. Like My parents, when it had to do with most things, my babcha, my dad's mom, when it had to do with – You know, guys, but it would be like for fake advice. I'd always go to her just to reassure me that I was making the right decisions and things like that. And then my friends when it came to social stuff for the most part. But, you know, my parents for any big decisions and then my friends for just the innocuous stuff that seemed big at the time, like anything to do with other people. Mm -hmm. What about you?
1: This is weird and kind of mind-blowing because I've never thought about it, but I never went to anyone for advice. What do you mean? I never trusted anyone with advice.
0: That's no, but Shane, like in conversation with your friends, you wouldn't be like, Oh, what do you think of, about this girl? I think she likes me. I like her. Oh, what for, do you think I should do? Oh,
1: I was too scared to, to for girl advice. I just assumed they none liked me. I, I was really good at giving advice, and a lot of people came to me for advice, and people would call me for hours to dole out advice. They still do. Yeah, but I would—I was always that guy. Yeah, and it's interesting because I talked to my dad, and he said he was that guy too oh, really? at his work. But yeah, I never really felt like I any like I never really felt like I had anyone who was really great at giving advice around me, mm-hmm. or who wanted to lend an ear to me. I don't know. I never really had that person.
0: Well, what about as you got a little older? You—you you know, you were nineteen when you started dating things like that so in your 20s let's say since you experienced all that later probably
1: the closest thing to it was definitely mike veerman Mm -hmm. and then his brother greg those two people were the most other than that i don't think i ever really had strong advice people like sean dawson might have given me a little advice here and there
0: what about like career advice things like that
1: yeah never no one you
0: you just sit with it on your own and
1: yeah well, if anything, <laughs> most people gave me advice just not to do what I was doing just because right. it, it was like, it's almost like saying you're you're going to be a comedian, saying you want to work in TV. Yeah. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make these videos. And if they get popular, keep in mind, the very first thing I ever did got over a million v-
0: mm-hmm.
1: views on YouTube. So I was pretty confident myself and my abilities. And then I said, if I don't make it by the time I'm 25, I'm going to go to Mohawk College for TV broadcasting. And then I'll get a job in yeah. the industry. And then I didn't make it. When I turned 25, I went to Mohawk College and then ended up working in TV. But that was my plan that I well, set I, for myself.
0: I think when people give advice, they want to give safe advice because they don't want to be the reason that somebody screws up their life and you know ends up in the gutter. So I think telling somebody like, Especially with the older generations telling somebody, be like, yeah, chase your dream in TV or in comedy, Mm -hmm. whatever. Is like, it's scary because it's so, you know, it's not stable.
1: When I was really young, like seven or eight, my dad told me to be a dentist and that stuck with me. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I do want to be a dentist. But that that was, to me, a far-fetched dream in Mm -hmm. the end than working in television. Yeah. Because you got to have the chops to be able to do that and the attention span and... Be, be, be a school type person.
0: Well, different chops. That's the thing. Because what you, what you do, you have to have mega chops. But it's just a different type of chops than dentistry. Yes. All right. Next question. This is a record setter for the amount of times chops has been used, by the way, this <laughs> episode. <laughs> it's a good word. All right. Does it really matter how many sexual partners your partner has had? It only matters if it matters to you. If you're a person who values celibacy and nothing wrong with that then that then that matters find somebody who has values similar to your own unless you're willing to you know accommodate their life into your value system but if you're sitting with somebody new and you're asking them how many partners they've had if your motive is sheerly just to get to know them better cuz you're curious then that's a good place to have the conversation but if your motive is Jealousy, or it's coming from a place of judgment, it's probably best not to have that conversation because somebody's going to judge another person. Somebody's going to have feelings hurt. It might plant a seed of mistrust or something when there doesn't need to be. So I think that if it truly doesn't matter to you, then go for it because it really doesn't matter. It doesn't change who they are as a person. But, you know, if you do value one thing over the other, then make that be known. Like, don't keep that a secret either. Make it be known and find somebody who can accommodate that. Uh, I did find a couple studies or several studies, though, uh, which were interesting. And they interviewed, they they all interviewed married couples and, you know, asked them about their relationship satisfaction, their marriage satisfaction. Shane, how many? So 67% was the largest group of people that said their marriage was very happy, which was like the highest on the scale. Mm-hmm. What group do you think it was? The amount of people with one sexual partner, more than one, or more than 10?
1: Sorry. They're happy if they've had...
0: So they interviewed all these different married couples who have, you know, maybe the one couple, the male and female, have had only one sexual partner each, and that's each other. Maybe the other couple have had between two and 10, and the other couple they've had over 10.
1: Well, since most people have had between two and 10, I would say the two and 10 category
0: they were the least happy the amount of people saying that they were the happiest were the couples with only one sexual partner where they married each other they They were were, the most happy they were the most happy in their marriages the second most happy were the people that had had over 10 partners
1: ah that's very interesting And, and
0: here's the thing like the people between two and 10 they were you know at the bottom of the list here but they were still up high i think they were like clocking in at maybe well like 62% 62% happiness or something yeah. like that but well
1: I don't want to get too personal here but am I your first
0: I think we need to have a conversation Jen
1: do you think I'll be your last
0: <laughs> I hope so <laughs> <laughs> all right but next question what would you do if one person wants to find out the sex of the baby but the other doesn't so this is if you're a pregnant couple I work something out, I was trying to come up with like ways that you could keep it you know, a secret or something like that, just get on the same page is what I would say. I think that's the safest thing to do. Why can't you
1: trust one person just to not tell you?
0: Well, because experience, what I'm saying, I think get on on the same page, regardless of what way it is, finding out, not finding out, because it's going to be fun to do it together.
1: Sure, but maybe you're never going to come to an agreement. So if you wanted to find out and I didn't, Mm -hmm. I would say you find out and just don't tell me. What's wrong with that plan?
0: Nothing's wrong with that plan, but like, could you do it? Would you would the other person accidentally tell you and then you have to get mad at them?
1: But why are they gonna accidentally tell you? I don't
0: know. They let it slip out after a few drinks or something.
1: Well, that if you can't trust the person like that, then I guess <laughs> yeah, come to an agreement. But I would like to think you're not planning your whole world around the color of the room in this yeah, day and age. Yeah. So it's like largely irrelevant. For me, it's just I need to know every little thing. Like I need to know a Christmas present and just because i'm that type of person mm-hmm. so for me it's it just has to be about knowing everything yeah, yeah. but to, it didn't help us in any way beyond it made me stop nagging at like what is it what is it
0: no absolutely absolutely yeah so there you go two different uh two different opinions for you next question do you have tips on how to make trying to conceive fun when you're struggling to fall pregnant? So. I looked to other sources for this, and I've got five things here. So number one, build anticipation. So, you know, don't just text your partner, hey, I'm ovulating. And again, I'm not saying this from experience. I don't know if these things are great in practice, but this came from uh, several maternity articles and from forums for women who are uh, struggling to conceive. But number one, build anticipation. Like I said, don't text your partner, hey, I'm ovulating today. Come home from work early. Or, you know, don't go out for beers tonight. Text your partner something flirty. Let them know. Like, do a little bit of sexting. Something like that. Like, be flirty. Be fun. And keep it light. And keep it as something to look forward to and not a chore. Next is to get connected. So connect with your partner, not on a sexual level, first. And just really kind of be, you know, on the same page as them. Whether you decompress after a long day in the bathtub give each other a massage have a little drink together after you put the kids to bed or after you get home from work something like that just start talking and having fun together not about conceiving next is to bring back the pleasure so you know if you have other kids or if you know you're just you talk about this child that you're trying to conceive none of that is allowed don't talk about that talk about other things fun things Give massages, foreplay, super important. Don't just get to business. You know what I mean? Like actually take in the sensations of being intimate, even if it's just conversation, and really relish that. You know what I mean?
1: Number one, massage. If a <laughs> massage doesn't work, just divorce the person or like don't <laughs> have a child with that person. A massage has to work. It's the sneakiest way to get... Touch a person and then seem like you're giving a massage and then turn it into something different. Honestly, though, if massage doesn't work, is that relationship worth being in? Well,
0: maybe some couples aren't massagey couples, Shane.
1: Then, like, if you don't like being touched in that way, what, well, I, mean, I don't know. Here's
0: the thing: find, find if massage is the answer for us, find your equivalent of massage, whatever that is. You know what I mean? And the last thing, and this could be. most important thing is just to have... Feather (laughs) tickling? You got it. (laughs) No, uh, have more sex. So like if Ah. sex is viewed primarily as a baby making thing and it's like you're only doing it when you're ovulating on those days, instead of a time to enjoy each other's company and connect and do all of those things, then it's just going to be another thing on your task list. Like it's going to feel like a chore. You're not going to look forward to it in the same way. It's going to be different. So like the longer the stretch in between sexual encounters, like if you're having sex only when you're ovulating or, you know, once every two weeks on a designated date night, then it's going to be more awkward for both people to start it up because you're going to feel nervous about getting rejected. You're going to feel bad if you get rejected because then you're like, oh, now I got to wait so long again. And then that might cause anger or resentment. So try to just... Do it more often. Make it something that you're both really comfortable talking about and doing. And then when you're doing it, when you're ovulating, it's just going to be, you know, a fun activity you like to do with your partner over something you have to do. Like, bottom line, sex should be fun, right? And I know when you're bringing children in conception into that, it, it totally changes it. But again, this is advice I'm getting from people that deal with things like this. What do you think, Shane?
1: Erotic films might work. Yeah. That's all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, oh, the last thing I had, I had one more thing. Sorry. Change locations. Because even if it's scheduled, whether it's like a scheduled date night or if it is, you know, a scheduled ovulation time, like a, you know, natural. Yeah, do
1: it in your parents' bedroom. That might be (laughs) well, it could be so taboo that it's just like.
0: (laughs) Well, what I was reading online was like do it in your car. That would just be like so scary. At the drive-in. There you go. In a convertible. (laughs) Pretend you're kids in the 50s. But yeah, no, switch up the location because even if it's scheduled, that can add an adrenaline rush. That'll add an element of spontaneity and that will, you know, make it more fun. So there you go. Next question. I hope this isn't too personal but what will the girls' journeys look like with lupus? Will they have it? So Betty's in the process of growing out of her postnatal lupus. Uh, Lucy has grown out of it. But the thing is, they, they're they not sure. Like even doctors, rheumatologists who study autoimmune disease, they are unsure if it is genetic or not. And there's so much research to be done. Lupus and autoimmune diseases in general are incredibly underfunded in their research. In my mind- it's got to be genetic. I mean, my grandmother had it. My cousin has it. And it it just makes so much sense that it's genetic. So I don't know. We're, we're expecting that they might at some point and that we will deal with that. But ideally, by that time, the medications and the research will be, you know, hopefully up to par and they'll be OK. Like, and I feel fine. like you've
1: been fairly fine. Your journey was fine. Yeah. As a child, you had lots of seizures, but now yeah. you don't.
0: Yeah, I don't. I just I, – I had a lot of seizures and then complicated migraines and then lupus. So it's kind of – my life has been like three medical segments, which again, like doctors don't think are related. But in my mind, I'm like, well, how can one person have, you know, all this medical stuff that's not related? It doesn't really make sense. But yeah, we'll find out. They, they, they may get it. I think they're at a higher risk of getting it than somebody who doesn't have lupus in the family. But yeah, we'll see. And I think they'll be fine. Next question. And final question. Do you believe your love is equal for kids, but not necessarily the same? Yes.
1: For all kids or our no, kids? Like
0: when, when a person has more than one child, do you think that there's equal love there or not equal love? I think it is equal love, but not necessarily the same love. You m- might appreciate certain things about one kid, other things things about your other kid and have different love languages with them because they'll respond to your love in different ways as well.
1: Yeah. I think at different times it's, you're going to feel like, oh, I'm really glad I have this precocious little girl. And then other times you're like, sheesh, I wish I didn't have this (laughs) precocious. Like I really appreciate Betty and her calmness right now. But I think overall in the span of a life that it all balances out. Yeah, And uh, yeah, definitely it's, I don't know if the love is different, but the feeling is different right for for each child and if it was the same it would be strange
0: yeah absolutely no absolutely but let's see
1: like i don't know betty's one this is a hard question like when maybe when they're teenagers we can come back and answer this
0: like well we hate child a love child b
1: why not well (laughs) what if they or lucy what if one of them turns out terrible
0: Well, I don't think that we'd stop loving them, though. That's the thing. And I I think it's just a different kind of love. What if they're after?
1: Like, Chucky, what if they're after us? They want to hurt us. We still love someone who wants to hurt us?
0: I think so, babe. Like,
1: violently hurt us.
0: I don't think that I can – I think I'd be terrified of her, but that I'd still love her and try to, like, change her Mm. back. Wow. I don't I, I don't think there's escaping it.
1: What if she's normal in every other regard, except when it comes to us? She just <laughs> she wants us gone. And there's no like mental reason for it. It's not like, oh, she just has this illness. She just absolutely is after us.
0: Fear will be there, but love will be there too. Yeah. yeah. All right, babe, but that's it.
1: That's all. Thank you for giving us the five star rating. I mean, it really helped us out. Not because <laughs> because you haven't been giving us the five-star ratings i've been looking and you haven't been commenting lately so if you could we'd really appreciate but if not hey that's fine just listening to the episode is enough
0: sure shane but uh yeah i say give us the ratings give us the things we love you we love each other we love the podcast folks have a lovely week
1: thank you so much for listening to this this family Family
0: tree Tree Podcast. podcast episode 93